Turn it on and rip the knob off. Welcome to episode 13 of the Grenade, the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, Steve Ekstadt, for another fun show. we got two more weeks coming up here, Steve. We're in the month of July now, 1989, NWA. Eight shows this week. Only doing two weeks. Look at TV. It doesn't seem like a lot, but man, eight shows. is had so much TV back then. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. I know it's only two weeks, like you pointed out, but they got five shows now per week. Power Hour, Pro, Worldwide, World Championship Wrestling at the 6.05 time once again. And then the NWA main event on Sundays. So the NWA spreading it. I don't want to say they're spreading it thin. They're spreading it across the entire weekend, though, because they got a, enough talent to cover these shows, as we'll find out with all these angles and matches and things. They're, they're all over the place, but there's just so much to talk about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll be talking to... Well, I know you can't wait. And I, I didn't run this by you, Steve, until maybe five minutes before we went on the air. But I went back, we talked in a, the last couple episodes about some of the Bash tour house shows and some of the matches and what happened where and when and, and how things were structured this year as part of the Bash tour. So we'll be talking today about the first half of that Bash tour itself and the not-so-good houses. We'll be looking at some of the past Bash gates compared to this year's in the same cities and venues and how they hold up. Spoiler alert, not good. Uh, I wanted to also announced that the debut of our second podcast, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, which dropped this week, Monday the 9th, just two days ago, it will continue to drop every Monday from this point forward. For obvious reasons, Monday Warfare, why not drop it on Monday mornings? And with Monday Warfare dropping on Monday, Steve, we're moving the grenade to Wednesdays. And some people might be asking, why not Tuesdays, Ray? Well, I wanted to give people enough time, a couple days, to listen to both of our podcasts without falling too far behind on either one. So every Monday morning, it's Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, and The Grenade will move to every Wednesday morning. So you guys keep that in mind as we move forward here. And we've got more exciting announcements coming over the course of the next month or so about future shows coming to the Russell Copia Podcast Network. And as always, please go on to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Copia. We've got Power Hour podcasts over there. We've got the all-access tier with all the watch-alongs. We've been doing a lot of fun. We've been all over the place there, Steve, with the Saturday night's main event. We did Halloween Havoc 95, one mummy humping good time there. Just a, a lot of good stuff going on with watch-alongs we've been putting together. Oh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Like you said, it's all over the map. We're well-versed in wrestling, so we can cover all of it, anything and everything. So, yeah. Definitely sign up and enjoy some awesome watch-alongs over there on the Patreon. Yeah, and more good stuff to come very, very soon over there. So just keep checking back to our Patreon account. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade for your chance at future prize giveaways. We just gave away two prizes, a Tito Santana autograph promo pick and an Arn Anderson autograph promo pick back on Halloween to some lucky listeners. And we've got some good ones scheduled for our Great American Bash 89 watch-along episode scheduled for the week of Thanksgiving. Perfect timing. 
Thanksgiving Eve, to be exact, is when we'll drop. Obviously, we're dropping on Wednesdays now. So Thanksgiving Eve, the Great American Bash 89 watch long, going to be a blast, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and I can't wait to go through it and relive it one more time. So follow us now on Twitter for your chance at those goodies, those upcoming goodies, which we'll be announcing here on Twitter very soon. Again, we're at Rasslin Grenade on Twitter. Follow us now. And before we get going with the Bash news and notes, I ask that everyone have a listen to these quick but important messages. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts slated to launch over the course of the fall season. Everything from our show, The Grenade, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts this holiday season, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, the Battles Within, exclusively on WrestleCopia.com. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. 
no promotion, no territory, no era is off limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania, to an episode of 1982 World Class, to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, a Power Patron tier. All you have to do is subscribe $5 to our Patreon account, where you, as the Patreon, get exclusive access to the Power Hour podcast that we release anywhere from two to four times per month, with the potential for bonus episodes being added at any given time. It's unfiltered, uncensored, unedited. We say whatever we think, whatever we feel on just about any topic. We'll answer your questions, review recent pay-per-views. There's even a little segment we like to call Things Meltzer Said, where we pick apart and debate Things Meltzer Said. All of that, plus other random questions, opinions, and stories are shared here on the exclusive Power Hour podcast. Or, for only $2 more, you can subscribe to the $7 tier, the all-access tier, where for $2 more, not only do you gain access to the Power Hour podcast and everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle C-O-P-I-A. And all right, before we get going... With the month of July, I know Power Hour is technically on June 30th, but for all intents and purposes, for argument's sake, let's say we've closed out the month of June already, and we're going to go back and look at the VIP Jobber of the Month for June of 1989, and a lot of guys stepped up this month for a variety of reasons. Could I give it to Cougar J or George South for jobbing to the Ding Dongs? Hmm, possible. Was it Lee Scott for the awesome Lex Luger segment on main event, plus the usual great bumping and all of his other matches? Well, Lee Scott's always in the running. Was it Trent oh, yeah. Knight for being a true man and no selling a fireball faster than Missy, no sold the mist? I, <laughs> I, it was a tough, tough decision here, but I'm afraid this month's VIP Jobber of the Month trophy has to go to the man who presented himself as the sacrifice to the debuting Sid Vicious. This month, we have to give the award to Dwayne Bruce, the future Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, for surviving an attempted murder and living to tell about it. <laughs> and Bob Emery, he got it pretty good, too, from Sid. But Bruce's bump there, the, the press where he bounced off the ropes and off the apron of the floor and hasn't been seen since, I, I had to give it to, <laughs> to Bruce, Dwayne Bruce here. Uh, we haven't seen Bruce since the incident, though I'm pretty sure he returns here very soon. And his opponents, the skyscrapers. So another ass whipping coming his way again very, very soon. Poor Dwayne Bruce. But congratulations goes to Dwayne Bruce. Yeah, absolutely, man. He he deserves it based off of uh, that one match against Sid. And the fact that he gets signed up to go against him again, I think, this week. Poor Dwayne Bruce. But, yeah, man, welcome to the club, buddy. Jobber of the month. And that concludes the June 89. VIP 
And before we get going, I know it's early in July here. We're only doing the weekends of the 1st and the 8th. But after just watching these two weekends, I feel like I almost already want to hand Lee Scott the award again here in July. Jesus, some of the bumps he takes as we go through this episode. But we'll talk about that as we, we move along. Obviously, every time we hear the VIP job of the month, it's always followed up by what else but the NWA Top 10. So here it is, the NWA Top 10 for June 1989. Take it away, Not Tony. Hello, wrestling fans. This is Not Tony Schiavone. And now here's a look at this month's NWA Top 10 for the month of June 1989. As composed by promoters of the Wrestling Memory Grenade Board of Directors. What goes up must come down. Just ask number 10 VIP job of the month, Dwayne Bruce. Number 9 is the man who put Dwayne Bruce on the map and then took him off. It's the debuting Big Sid Vicious. How shitty can you be when you're known as a second-rate bushwhackers? Number 8 is the New Zealand Militia. In its 7, they're coming to a beach near you. It's the dynamic dudes at play. God help us all. Falling down to number 6, it's Norman the Lunatic. Coming in at 5, who lives in a pineapple inside the ring? The opponents of the SST, that's who. He pokes gators with a stick and women with his, well, you know. It's Gator Scott Hall at four. It's closing time, and you ain't gotta go home, but you can't stay at Funk's Grill in at number three. Up next, it's Jim Hurd's best idea this side of the Hunchbacks. It's the Ding Dongs in at two. And this month's number one. Flex, can I have your autograph? No, you can't. It's the new attitude, total package, Lex Luger. And that's a look at the June 89 NWA Top 10. All right, and another NWA top 10 in the book, Steve, as we get ready to look at the Bash Tour. Yeah, I've been interested about this. Like, the cards look great, especially in Boston. I know we see a lot of that coverage coming up here. And just the feuds that they have going, and some of them are for house shows. Some of them are for TV, obviously. The angles push the house shows, and uh, I'd be pretty excited to see some of these. So I'm definitely curious to see how the, the business is doing. And so what I'm going to do this week is we're going to look at the Bash Tour. It kicks off on June 22nd in Landover, Maryland at the Cap Center. And I know that's WWF country, but the NWA also were pretty successful in Baltimore, though this is not Baltimore. And we'll get to that in a moment as well. And I'm going to run from June 22nd all the way to July 14th is where we're going to end up with this week. And we'll conclude the Bash Tour next week or, or the week after, depending on how things go in regards to obviously the pay-per-view and the watch along and stuff. But uh, yeah, so this week, the Bash Tour immediately starts out with a fizzle. The main event, the one they've been plugging everywhere, Terry Funk taking on Sting, it doesn't go down. We don't see Funk versus Sting on a Bash until July 1st. Uh, they shot an angle at every Bash show up until July 1st, with Terry Funk attacking Sting following the Triple Chance Battle Royals. Funk would attack Sting with the branding iron and take him out. Sting would be stretchered out. Ironically enough, in reality, it's Funk who has a fractured sacrum in his lower back, and in typical Funk fashion, he offered to work anyway, but was held out. That was probably for the best. So the main event, Funk versus Sting, is basically eliminated from the show, and I would say it's replaced by Lex Luger versus Ricky Steamboat, but that's really already on the card. So now Luger and Steamboat get bumped to the main event, though they were already scheduled for the card. So the fans are out a, a huge match in Sting versus Funk on this first leg of the Bash Tour. Yeah, absolutely. That would suck. I mean, they, they've had, they shot a great angle. And they shot 10 really great angles. <laughs> yeah, they've done, they, they've done just a bunch of great stuff on TV to hype this match and get it ready for this show. And it's unfortunate that Funk is injured and can't really go. That's, that stinks. 
as we get into going to the Bash Tour, I also wanted to talk about the uh, Ebony Experience or the future Doom. Obviously, we remember hearing that Ron Simmons had turned down the idea. He didn't like the uh, name or the gimmick or whatever coincided together there. Uh, but Simmons said no. And that basically took him and Butch Reed off TV. We've learned that Butch Reed is currently suspended for unknown reasons and hasn't signed his contract, which also expires at the end of July. The Melts believes that Butch Reed's on his way out. Obviously, Reed will return here eventually. But I just thought that was interesting news. And then Ron Simmons will find his back on TV after refusing to do the Ebony Experience gimmick. But it's pretty obvious, at least short term here. There's not a whole lot of plans for Ron Simmons, and he's back in that uh, lower tier role uh, that he was in before prior to the idea. That's where we're at right now with the future Doom team. I wanted to get that in there before we discuss the Bash Tour. Yeah, it's unfortunate they had nothing for either one of those guys. I know we've seen Simmons. I think I don't know if he's on this week's show or next week's, but uh, he's, he comes around and jobs out, and they just don't have anything for him. And that's unfortunate because I thought Butch Reed was finally getting the rust off and was looking decent, and then he gets suspended for whatever reason. So right, it's unfortunate. And we kick off the Bash Tour, as I mentioned, June 22nd in Landover, Maryland at the Cap Center. They draw 4,200 fans. And to, just to give you an idea of what they had done in the past, just two years prior, 1987, 15,000 fans sell out. 4,200 here. That's, uh, that's wow. how we kick off the Bash Tour. Then they go and they decide to run in Connecticut, WWF country. They'd never ran here ever before. They just got a little greedy or a little cocky, or really there's no reason to be cocky at this point if you're the NWA, but they just want to stick it to Vince, I guess. And this is when, as I always say, keeping it real goes wrong. They, take, they, they head to New Haven, Connecticut and draw 2,500 fans for a, a night of Bash action. Roadies and SST, Steamboat and Luger and... Uh, you know, it's uh, up and down the cards, uh, big names. And a lot of these bash tours, if you look at the results, there's 10 to 12 matches. They go balls out on these shows. It's pretty much everyone that's anyone on the TV right now working some form of a match on the card. The Steiners, Sullivan, Rotunda, the Midnights, Doc, the Freebirds. That's a loaded card, and you're drawing 2,500 fans, and that's not even the worst gate uh, <laughs> that we'll see as we go along here. We'll move over to June 24th, and they head to Philadelphia, and they've done okay in Philadelphia prior, and this time they're at the Civic Center for 4,107 paid. In 1986, they drew 11,000, nearly triple the amount. In 1988, just last year, when things weren't even doing that hot, 7,500. They're down to 4,100 here in 1989. Then it's incredible. Yeah, and not even the wrestler either. Yeah, not the wrestler. No. <laughs> June 25th, it's over to Pittsburgh in the Civic Arena. That's kind of an odd place for the NWA to run in the Bash Tour anyway. They draw 3,500, which I guess is pretty decent for uh, Pittsburgh in, in this leg, but it's still really, really bad at, at the same time. So it's time to head back to Crockett Country and see what we can do there. They head to Raleigh, which they Crockett's been a part. Well, I call it Crockett. Obviously, it's just it's Turner now, but it's still the NWA. And they had drew a sellout in the Dorton Arena of 8,500 just last year, which is not impossible to do. The Bash Tour, the NWA, you're in North Carolina, you do a sellout of 8,500. Dorton Arena is not one of the bigger arenas, but I mean, that's a, that's a very respectable amount of fans. This year, they do less than half that 4,000 fans from 8,500. Yeah, from 8,500 to 4,000, a more than 50% drop off from last year. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. June 27th, it's uh, another Crockett 
another Crockett City, Greenville, South Carolina Memorial Auditorium. I don't have a gate for that show, but I do have a gate for Greensboro. And this this is insane. Greensboro was the mecca, the New York City of the WWF. This Greensboro was was that of the the NWA of Crockett. And in the past 1986 at the Greensboro Coliseum, 15,000 fans. 1987, a respectable 10,500 fans. This year, their gate was $20,000. And from basically from some of the uh, information I got from Meltzer and Cornette, and there's no actual number, but from what I could c- gather, it, that's somewhere around 2,500 fans. So you go from 15,000 and even 11,000 in 87 to 2,500 fans here in Greensboro, your Madison Square Garden. Wow. It's hard. It's hard to even fathom. Like, did it really get that bad? I know the the numbers tell you it did, but was the TV and everything that terrible? You know, and did it's Dusty that, Booking really run it in the ground that bad. I, I mean, the talent's there, but well, it started with the Dusty yeah. Booking, and then it culminated, I think, with the George Scott era, which wasn't very long, but apparently long enough. Good night. Wow. They continued their tour, uh, Salisbury, Maryland, another odd town to work in June 29, June 30, or June 30th, Hampton, Virginia. And finally, here we go. We got Sting and Funk back in the ring here on July 1st. They're in Charlotte now, their secondary town, their secondary big town, Charlotte Coliseum, draws less than 3,000. They moved away from the stadium, which they had ran. That's where the bash started in 1985. The stadium in 85 drew 25,000 fans. The stadium in 86 23,000 fans in 87, 15,000 fans. They moved to the Coliseum, I believe last year and still drew 10,000 fans. They're down to 3000 fans here this year. That's, that's more than 66% cut in, in your fans from, from 88 to 89 in Charlotte. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's, it's just mind boggling, man. July 2nd, we're in the Omni in Atlanta and 1987, 13,500 fans. 1989, 6,800 fans. Nearly cut in half in a matter of two years at the Omni. It's crazy to think. July 3rd was a television taping in Columbia, South Carolina. July 4th was another television taping in Fayetteville, North Carolina. July 5th, Charleston. Basically, these next couple shows, uh, based on what Jim Cornette said, they were basically thrown a, a X amount of dollars. So he felt like the, the draw was so low that they just kind of handed him a certain amount of money to justify them, you know, pay, paying them what they're due. So I don't have numbers for July 5th in Charleston, July 6th in Marietta, which was a TV show, or July 7th in Roanoke. But according to Jim Cornette, they were all very low. And then we move on to Boston, which... We've had the Boston feed, so they've kind of been plugging the shit out of Boston. Hell, they've been plugging the hell out of Boston even on the uh, TBS show, at least during the Rick Steiner and Kevin Sullivan segments. Angle, of the show. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, because they have a street fight there scheduled for Boston. And here's what I did. I didn't just look up what Boston did here for the NWA Bash Tour. I looked up what, because this isn't just Boston. This is Boston Garden. This is WWF's, like, second, well, third big arena that you, you've got Madison Square Garden, you've got the Spectrum, and you've got Boston Garden. And here's what I pulled up for 1989. WWF ran a house show in the Boston Garden every month from January to June. Now, this is July. So for the first six months, they drew anywhere from 15,000 sellouts to 12,000. 
every month except May, which they drew only 5,000 for because it was a sea show and the headliners were Jim Duggan versus King Haku and a 1989 John Studd Andre the Giant match. So think about that for a minute. That drew 5,000 fans. That's still 200 more fans than the Bash Tour does here with only 4,800 fans. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. I don't know why you just don't run the South. I get it. It's the Great American Bash Tour, but my goodness, after the first five or six of these shows being in the tank, I wouldn't even go nowhere near the Northeast. You're nowhere near ready for this. And what would you do, Steve? Would you cancel the show? Because that's what they do next. On July 9th, they're scheduled for Providence, Rhode Island, and it's reported there's almost no ticket sales prior to the event, so they cancel the show after the wrestlers arrive in town. So they're stuck in town because their next show is a drive away. So <laughs> they fly in, or they drive, I'm not really sure how they got there, but they get to Providence and find out the show is canceled, and then they're stuck in town. And according to Cornette, it's due to a lack of interest, but also from what I've gathered also is... Uh, there was just no pre-sale at all. And uh, they all ended up stuck in a hotel somewhere and uh, drove over to July 10th to Springfield, Massachusetts, where they drew less than a thousand people. Oh, Lord. Know your audience. Yeah. And that's uh, and another that's what thing. This comes down to. I got a note here from Jim Cornette who had said this was a town they had never run before. And they decided to add it as part of the bash tour in some, instead of the other secondary Crockett towns. This is where they ran. You have guys like Luger and Steamboat and Flair, or not Flair, but Funk and Sting and just, well, you name them and they're on these shows and you can't draw a thousand people. That's not the talent's fault. That's, no. that's, that's, you're dropping the ball somewhere and promoting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're running new buildings and new, new towns and things like that, promoting your great American bash tour, these guys need to get in there. And do some signings, you know, hype these people up, promote the hell out of it, get there a little early, get some autograph signings, fan jam type deals in these places, build up some interest, do things like that. You're just, oh yeah, we're having a wrestling show here. Take care of it locally. Like, well, we've been, nobody's going to do that. We've been watching the syndicated programs and the localized promos are almost non-existent. So it's no wonder yeah. nobody knew they were coming to town. And I really don't know how they haven't had a grasp to fix that yet. but. It's, Pedicino it's, knows, man. Yeah, Pedicino knows something. I'm not sure what yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. Doesn't know how to promote a show or get a show over. All right, so now we're moving on July 11th. We're headed to Chicago. They've been to Chicago before. They can draw in Chicago. They've sold out in Chicago. Chicago's maybe, arguably, the greatest wrestling town in the United States. And they're back at the UIC Pavilion. In 1987, 10,000 people at the Bash. In 88, 6,500. Here on July 11th, 3,000 fans in Chicago for the Bash Tour. And it was also noted that a flight to Chicago was canceled and several wrestlers didn't make the show. I know Cornette, the Midnights. I, I don't want to name all the names because I don't have them in front of me, so I don't want to misquote who missed. But it was something like a half a dozen or so. The talents didn't even make the show. And it was a, you know considered to be a bigger show. They assumed they were going to be drawing there in Chicago. Obviously, they didn't. And... On top of that, and I think this may have played a part too, uh, it was noted that WCW had put ticket prices up, which didn't help matters either. They they jacked up the ticket prices because it was Chicago, and they thought they were guaranteed to draw, so hey, let's make a little extra money. That obviously didn't help matters either. On July 12th, they're off to Carbondale, Illinois, for 
some, I don't even know where that is, but, but that's where they went on July 12th. I have no information for that show. And I'm, I'm sure it drew uh, less than a thousand because on July 13th in Jackson, Tennessee, they draw less than a thousand. And I remember last episode, you'd ask me in regards to the Eddie Gilbert Muda matches, the dragon shy versus the coal miners glove gimmick, the coin flip. And we, we debated was it, was it 50, 50? Did they do, do some somewhere? do the other one somewhere else. I thought maybe Gilbert might've got the upper hand in Memphis. That wasn't the case. Uh, in fact, this was the big Eddie Gilbert Muda match. As far as hometown goes for Eddie Gilbert, he's actually out here accompanied on the July 13th, Jackson, Tennessee show by his father, the Memphis legend, Tommy Gilbert. And that winds up also being a dragon shy match. And even with that on the card does less than a thousand people. And then it's off to Memphis on July 14th. Eddie Gilbert headlining this show, which makes sense, taking on Terry Funk in the main event, and that only draws 1,800 fans. I mean, some of your hottest TV angles ain't even, aren't selling squat. You're making no money. You're getting no return on your investment here. And uh, it's unfortunate because a lot of these angles are very well done. The matches are meaningful, and uh, it's just unfortunate. that it, the, pro, the Not the product. It's not the talent, like you said. And I don't even really think it's the TV. Just the promotioning, the promoting side is just completely shit in the bed, non-existent, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. yeah, and not doing their part to hype this up and do better. Wow, just incredible. Yeah, and they even tried to be clever here. I mean, obviously in, Me- in Jackson, Eddie thought enough to bring his father down, and here in Memphis, they know Eddie Gilbert's potentially a draw, so they throw him, or he maybe throws himself in the main event to take on Terry Funk, who's also well known, not just in Memphis, but, you know, obviously worldwide and certainly on the TBS program right now. And they can't even pull in 2000 people and all in there because we'll pick up TV on the 14th with the power hour on the next episode of the grenade. So we'll pick up there with more bash tour news, including more cancellations, believe it or not, Steve. (laughs) Shocker. It's not looking good here in the summer of 89. And you wouldn't know it based on the TV product. No, you wouldn't. I thought the TV's hot. I mean, it's, to be honest with you, it's more entertaining than WWF TV ever thought it'd be in. And it gets you pumped to see these matches. Like we've talked about, I would love to see a Sting Terry Funk match during this house show run. And I don't know if we ever got it, but that would have been awesome to see. And a lot of these other angles and, and feuds and things like that are really well done. And it makes you want to see the matches. Just interesting that it just didn't sell. I don't know what the it's a combination of multiple things, but it's definitely not the talent or the TV. No, it's just a lack of advertising, certainly, and I guess the perception on the product right now. But we'll move on to TV and the NWA Power Hour for June 30th, 1989. Hosts are Jim Cornette and Jim Ross. We kick things off with TV champion Sting taking on Ron Simmons. First time we've seen Ron in uh, quite a bit of time here since he turned down the Doom gimmick or the Ebony Experience gimmick, if you will. So Ron is back here in singles for a little bit anyway. It takes Ross less than a minute to mention Ron's... uh, Florida Seminoles background by God. And it's not even the first, the last time he does it in this one particular match. Simmons starts the match off. He want, he does some one-arm pushups. He, I guess he's challenging sting to do the same, but sting's not having any of it. He can't do that. So he clears Ron from the ring, but Simmons right back in and eventually on top of sting does some arm work. And then there's more Seminoles talk. I wrote in my notes here by Jim Ross. He Simmons just had his Jersey retired the year before. So that just gives Ross more to talk about. Stinger makes his comeback. Simmons misses a charge in the corner. He's drop kicked face first back into the corner. Stinger splashed to the back 
and a schoolboy to save Ron Simmons' face. He doesn't have to tap to the scorpion. Schoolboy gets the win. Sting wins here in six and a half minutes. Yeah, there's lots of stalling at the beginning, uh, like you said, with the one-arm push-ups and things like that. A lot of rest holes with the arm bar. It kind of picked up towards the end. Pretty entertaining. Last two or three minutes or so. But other than that, kind of a nothing match. It's on to Gordon Soley and his wrestling news network, WNN. He talks Ric Flair's announcement coming tomorrow. Will he retire or will he return? Gordon says he will return. We'll see if Gordon Soley's right here very, very shortly. Sully goes over to the WWF. He talks Jake the Snake's Roberts legit neck injury. He's going in for an operation, which did keep him out for quite a while. I don't know that he returned until the Survivor Series. And uh, Gordon wishes Jake all the best. So uh, that was kind of interesting that they brought up more WWF news like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Pretty cool. Definitely different. The Nasty Boys are the new Florida Tag Team Champions for what it's worth. I think he said they beat the Southern Boys. That would have been maybe a fun match here. And here, here's my issue, because this is not the last time that this happens. Gordon, I'm not sure if he's getting bad information, because it seems like he should know better. He's been around the business long enough. Or he's creating information, uh, false information just to add more news here. But he announces that Lord Al Bleers is going to be promoting a new Hawaii territory with the help of the UWF in Japan. And first of all, I know Sully's been around the block long enough to know that it's Lord James Blears. And James Blears worked with the All Japan Company as like the uh, presidential type figure in the ring prior to the matches and things like that. So there's no way Gordon doesn't know this. So I just, it's almost like he went out of his way to create the name, like like change the name and the promotion uh, just so he's not giving away completely false information and pissing anybody off. But I just thought it was funny. He said, Lord Al Blears, I caught it right away. And uh, yeah, it just stuck out to me. So that's not the last time Gordon makes up J- Japanese news. I'm not surprised. He's probably, never mind. I'm not going to go there. But um, ah, ah, don't, don't go don't, there, don't, brother. <laughs> Where, where's my screwdriver? I, I don't know enough about uh, what was going on at that time as far as Japan and Hawaii. So I'm not going to comment. But well, nothing was going on in I'm Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Well, nothing yeah. was going on in Hawaii. And Gordon was probably looking for his screwdriver. And I don't mean the tool. They come back from yes. They come back from WNN, and Jim Ross loves to point out that they don't hide from other wrestling promotions. Here, he points out that Gordon had brought up the WWF, so I guess it's cool. I, I suppose it's back to the ring tag team action. Flying Brian makes his WCW or NWA television debut here. He, he's stuck in a tag team match in his debut, teaming with Ricky Santana, taking on Big Al Green and Jeff James. We have Lance Russell and Paulie on commentary. Pillman makes his debut, man, and I noted immediately, he is insanely jacked. I know Pillman was always really put together, but he's, like, jacked here in 1989. Oh, yeah. He's massive. He's, I think he was at his best probably a year from now when he thins out and just get, not, I don't want to peg him as, like, a lightweight or middleweight type guy, but when he thinned out and just got rid of all the muscle that was unnecessary, I thought he was at his best. But, yeah, he's definitely huge here, bigger than he needs to be. And he's young enough to carry this, but kind of like Scott Steiner did uh, in his early years. He's young enough to carry this body weight, though, and he's still able to fly around quite a bit. I thought this was fun teamwork from Santana and Pillman. I almost kind of wanted to see them form a, not a long-term team, but maybe a short-term team. I think it would have worked out. They, they blended really well, I thought, and they already looked a lot better and in sync than the dynamic dudes, is what I put in my notes. They had a nice-looking double dropkick and a few other things. I was pretty happy for them for a moment. 
I don't know if you know what I'm alluding to or not yet, but uh, yes. both both faces uh, do uh, flying double axe handles on Al Green on the floor. The first one to do it is Ricky Santana. And the minute he lands, he clearly blows out his knee. Pillman then reciprocates. He lands his own double axe handle on Al Green on the floor as well. Santana's clearly, clearly injured. He's hobbled, but he's still trying to go through the motions in the ring. He tags back in, but his knee immediately buckles to the left. <laughs> and he like lays in one shot. He tags right back out and stays out for the duration. Jeff James just sucks, is what I put here. And Pillman has to do a neckbreaker twice in order for him to take the proper bump. Brian Pillman ends the match with a flying splash off the top to the back. Four minutes and ten seconds. I really hated to see that for Ricky Santana. Looks like he might have finally found the right spot. I'm not saying he was going to continue to team with Pillman, but he was really picking up here. I enjoyed him in this match, and now he blows out his knee. And sadly, uh, based on results, this would be the reason the NWA cuts Santana. We don't we don't see him anymore here in the NWA. I does think. Uh, I thought they looked really good as well. I think I, I even had down in my notes they had better chemistry than the dudes already. And um, it just looked more fluid and more natural because they're about the same height, same size. So doing those tag team moves and things like that look way better. Yeah, just unfortunate. I noticed immediately as soon as he got tagged back in, he just collapsed almost. And I knew something was up with his leg, and that was pretty much it. So it stinks he got let go over that. He wasn't really doing much, but you, you, you hate to see that. That injury kind of derails somebody like that. Yeah, and I tried to look up some information to see how long he was out or what the actual injury was. I couldn't really find anything outside of DeMeltz claiming he got a blown out knee. I I think it might have been a little more than that because I can't really find results for Santana for the rest of 1989. I'm not saying he didn't wrestle somewhere else in 89, but I can't find any. And then he returns in 1990, pops up in Puerto Rico and Japan and Oregon. It's uh, very unfortunate. I was kind of digging Ricky Santana on the uh, syndicated shows. I guess we'll never get that payoff between Ricky Santana and Wild Bill Irwin. It's on to the skyscrapers. Is this their debut? I think this is their debut with Teddy Long. And they're taking, I'm sorry, Theodore Arlong. I don't want to piss off the skyscrapers like some of these ring announcers. And they're taking on George South and Trent Knight. So that's a good job team here. And it it is the skyscrapers debut, as I mentioned. It's the first time we've seen Dan Spivey since Wrestle War. So welcome back, Dan Spivey. Hey, Blaze, little howdy duty on your coconut. As Trent Knight continues to no-sell the fireball, and they don't even ignore that. Like, Jim Ross actually mentions it here in commentary. I don't know why he did that. But he talks about Trent Knight just getting fireballed, and we see Trent in the ring, no signs of scarring, no no, no selling, no eye patch, no nothing, just out there working a match. And uh, he he, he no-sells the fireball. I don't know that he can walk out of this match without without selling, however. Well, I will say Trent Knight did grow a beard, so <laughs> they never they never acknowledge it, but he did grow a beard, so maybe he grew a beard to hide his facial scars. There but if go. he had facial scars, would he, be able to, would he be able to grow a beard where he was burned? Ah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he didn't. He didn't singe off his pores to be able to grow hair. Okay. He All just right. grew hair to hide his injuries. I got you. Right. Somebody mentioned it, so clearly he didn't sell it. <laughs> Dan Spivey's uh, hitting everything here. He does a razor's edge prior to Scott Hall. Maybe this is where Scott picked it up from, because remember, Gator is here right now. Throw a <laughs> gun wrench throw, the side slam. The, he does a bear hug into a flapjack. Even a fucked up boss man. He tries to go for a boss man slam, and I can't remember if it's, I think it's South in the ring, and it was very awkward landing <laughs> for, for George South. And Spivey with a powerbomb on Trent Knight ends this thing in four minutes. 
48 seconds. I put in my notes here, Sid Vicious barely did anything in this match. Yeah, I, this was boring. And I almost feel like, because I know like later on they start doing things where they just have people get TKO'd or they submit. And I think Ross mentions it. He's like, these guys are taking people out. Uh, they're having them quit and things like that. This almost feels like they're just trying to figure out what they're going to do or what yeah. they're going to be as far mm-hmm. as in ring. Um, they got all these killer moves, but they don't know how to put it together to where it looks fluid. They're just doing, they're just throwing moves out there, and uh, it, it looked terrible. I didn't really uh, care for this match at all, and I was excited for the skyscrapers to be here. But yeah, hopefully I, they I, get better, and I'm pretty sure they do. Overlooking the fact that Sid did basically nothing in this entire match, I thought this was the best match they have over the course of the two weeks. Not because there's a finish, but because Spivey at least hits like a half dozen death moves. I mean, Sid does nothing, but at least <laughs> Spivey's doing moves here. If you, as we go along, I don't, I don't know that either one of them does much of anything other than a power bomb. So at least we got a few moves in that match. I'll, I'll give them that much there. The other ones just seem like they don't know what the hell is going on. Like I don't know. We'll get to that when we get to them. But yeah, not very fun. And it's time for Funk's Grill, and this week Terry's guest is the United States Heavyweight Champion Lex Luger. And just for you, Steve, I grabbed the soundbite, so let's have a listen. It's time on the Power Hour to visit the most unpredictable place in wrestling. Let's go to Funk's Grill. Oh, yes, here we are with another Funk's Grill. My goodness, F-U-N-K-S, Funk. G-R-I-L-L, and let's hear some applause out there, because have I got a special guest for you tonight. I have got the greatest wrestling specimen in the world today, the man that did something to Steamboat that Rick Flair couldn't do in three hours. I'm talking about the total package. Will the total package come on down? Oh, Lex, you look so good tonight. You really do. You know, you just look terrific, Lex. You know, if I've seen some specimens in my day, you certainly have them. You know, I. I've got lots of brains in wrestling, too, Lex. You know, I, I guess, first of all, I thank you for having enough class to bring out the number one wrestler today, the U.S. heavyweight champion, Lex Luger. Thank you very much, sir. Well, you are welcome, and you know you are, you are the top contender in my book. And if I ever had a chance at Ric Flair, and if I de- defeated Ric Flair for the world's heavyweight championship, you know what I do? I get a contract with a contract and a pencil, and I'd go ahead and I'd write out a contract that that I would wrestle you. You know, looking in your eye right now, I know that you really mean it, and I really appreciate that sincerity in your eyes. And I know that if you were heavyweight champion, that you would wrestle the total package lecture because you're a fair man. And you know, we do have something in commentary. You know, here we are standing out here. And on national television, you laid out Ric Flair. Everyone wants to beat the man. He calls himself the man. And there he was was. when the camera went off, laying in a heap on the floor. And you know what? Not too long after that, the total package like Uber took it upon himself to go out there. And lo and behold, Ricky Steamboat laid out on the floor in a heap. In a heap. Exactly. 
But you know, Lex, you never answered one thing. If you won the world championship, would you would you sign a contract with me that I would get the chance to wrestle you for that belt? Would you or not, Lex? That goes without saying, because we would be fighting champions. Oh, it's about time that the NWA had some fighting champions. Two heels kissing each other's asses with no sincerity whatsoever. What do you think of Funk's grill this week? Uh, it was pretty good. I think Terry Funk needs the match with Flair r- rather quickly. I think he's running out of material. He, he did a great job of carrying it for the first, uh, I don't know, four or five weeks of TV, but he, he's kind of losing steam a little bit. And uh, Lex was pretty good here. It was just very sarcastic, and they're, they're bullshitting each other. They know that. But it wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad either. I think it's a step up from the Missy Hyatt one anyway. Yeah, but that's not saying much. No, and speaking of the Missy Hyatt Funks grill, I noticed they dropped that weird Jim Cornette text message thing that was th- those things he was writing and it was popping up on the screen, and I was thankful for that because that was not working. So at least they saw something there that wasn't working and they dropped it immediately. Yeah, absolutely. I just don't feel like they're utilizing this to the way it needs to be. They're no. doing it to get funk over. Whereas like the brother love show and even Piper's pit, it was used to, to get feuds and angles and stories over and they're, they just don't know. Again, it's one of those things that they're probably picking up from the WWF and it's just not working. Yeah. I think the danger zone was the same way, which, you know, we'll get more, we'll talk more, actually talk more about the danger zone here on the next week of TV. But I just, I just feel like, I like the idea that they're trying to match the WWF of the talk show. You have the right guys doing it. Terry Funk can pretty much talk to anybody. Paul E can talk to himself. So, you know, and get yeah. something and get something else over. It's just, they really don't, they're not giving them anything to do when they're out there. I mean, this was fine, but like you said, it really doesn't further anything. And I don't know that this hurts Funk, but it just feels like Funk's just having fun with this because that's all this really is. He's, you know, he's already said everything he can say about flair. He gets his own promos for flair. So Funk's grill's more about just talking with people and it becomes less about flair or and less about sting. And so it just turns into a whole lot of nothing at the end of the day. But I thought that was fun because Funk's been killing it. I know you're a big fan of Luger. I thought it was good enough. I thought it was funny listening to him kind of kiss each other's asses while there was clear bullshit behind it. So it's, at least it was two classic heels lying to each other face to face. Yeah, definitely. And that's the best part about it. Just the innuendo that they're portraying that they care about each other. Right. You know, neither guy's going to give you the the other one a title shot. They ain't going to do that. (laughs) They're heels. Main event time on the Power Hour. It's a six-man tag, and I loved it when I saw the names involved. Well, at least four out of six of the names involved. It's the odd team of Dr. Death, Steve Williams. He's teaming with Rick Steiner and Eddie Gilbert of the First Family. They're taking on all three Freebirds, Hayes, Garvin, and Gordy. And it's a Michael Hayes match, so how does it start off? Michael Hayes almost gets counted out while stalling before the match even starts. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I man, put... this is such shit. <laughs> well, I put in my notes here, Rick Steiner, there's a point in the match, Rick Steiner does Steiner lines to all three heels. And his clotheslines were just awesome. They were so different. They weren't like JBL or Stan Hans where they just where you cock your hand back and you swing it forward and try to knock the guy's head off. But he just kind of ran into you with his entire body. And it was like a, a snake striking here, some of these shots. It's just like he threw his whole body into it. It was really good stuff from Rick Steiner, as usual. The Freebirds wind up getting heat on Rick. 
he backdrops Michael Hayes out of a DDT spot and makes the hot tag to Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert comes in, but then they put heat on Eddie Gilbert as well. Eddie winds up clotheslining Michael Hayes and making another hot tag, this time to Dr. Death, which is who they should have tagged in the first place because Dr. Death comes in and he's ready to go and he takes on Garvin. He gorilla presses Garvin, gorilla presses Hayes. He wants it, Gordy. I loved it. He presses both of the Freebirds and he looks over in the corner and Gordy's the only one standing in the corner and he motions for him to come on, bitch. <laughs> and we get a wild brawl. I marked out for just every time Doc and Gordy get in the ring and start swinging punches, I just mark out on these shows. And, and this was no different. Wind up with a double count out. I've seen it listed as a double disqualification. I think the announcer, the ring announcer even calls it a double disqualification. But if you pay close attention to the match, you can easily see the referee count them out. Make the 10 count. You can hear yeah. it. You can tell. And uh, Gilbert basically goes and grabs a chair and finally runs the Freebirds off. I thought it was odd. Gilbert was selling his knee at the end, had to be held to the back. I didn't think they really worked over his knee enough for that. So I wasn't sure if, if that bum leg was back at it or if it, he was just selling here. But it's a double count out nonetheless. Match goes about 13 and a half minutes. Yeah. And the first four or five minutes was nothing but stalling. There was a funny spot where Rick, a chair somehow got thrown into the ring and Rick Steiner pinned it, uh, which is pretty funny. Again, it just—it's good stuff, and I enjoyed the match. Like towards the end, and the brawl at the end was awesome. And anytime Gordy and Williams got together, they just beat the hell out of each other, and you can really see it. I thought it was awesome, but again, it's another big time main event on TV that ends in a, a no finish. And I, I get it; I understand the booking behind it. You don't really want anybody to job or anything like that because you're saving it for the house or whatever you're saving it for. Uh, it's just unfortunate you sacrifice TV for that. Uh, I just, I'd like solid finishes and meaningful finishes. Uh, that's just, it seems to be a trend that we've pointed out numerous times, but it rears his ugly head one more time. Yeah, they just keep protecting the Freebirds in these six, man. There's really no reason Hayes or, or Garvin or someone sh- could, could do a job. They could do a job here yeah. easily. I mean, the titles aren't changing hands. It's not going to hurt anyone. It's a six man. And there's enough guys out there that you can even gimmick the match with, you know, nonsense to, to pin one of the birds. It's uh, this is not the first time. Obviously, we saw that with the Midnights on the last episode when we were talking about the tag title match on Saturday night, and now here we are a week later, and, and you know this is what we get. So I agree with you there. Uh, I can't and say it. Also, you could you know you could uh, if if you ever want to just get down to a, a tag match, let Rick or Scott pin one of the birds, you know Hayes or Garvin, and then there you go. Like okay, we beat him in a six man, kind of like what they did with Tatanka and Shawn Michaels leading up to WrestleMania nine. He pinned right. him in the six man. You can use that. Hey, Rick pin the Steiners beat the birds in the six man. They they deserve a title match. And it's an easy way to sell a tag title match. Yeah, and I mean but, if Shawn nope. if Shawn Michaels agreed to do a job, I, I don't know what the hell is going on here with uh, Garvin and Hayes. <laughs> You're not wrong. And we conclude the show. It's wrestler of the week time. This week it's Sting, and yay, Sting actually gets a picture on the screen, unlike Ricky Steamboat last week. So they're upgrading the power hour at the very least as we conclude the episode. They're working on it. And unfortunately, the July 1st episode of, of NWA Pro is missing. No one seems to have it, and I can't seem to find any results on it. I do know that they had advertised last week that the Ric Flair press conference was going to be aired on here, which makes sense because they also aired on Worldwide. Other than that, I have no idea what's going on. If anybody has this episode, please contact us. Drop me a DM. I'd love to get a hold of it. So we got to move on to Savannah, Georgia, and NWA Worldwide for July 1st. 
We kick things off right away again. We just ended with the free birds. Well, it's Steve, I know you were dying for some more birds, so here we go. It's all three free birds in action in a six-man tag, taking on Bucky Siegler, Rock Hard Rick, and Mike Awesome. And how cool would it have been if we had gotten Mike Awesome in his prime versus Terry Gordy in his prime? That's what I was thinking here as Awesome was playing job guy to, to the birds. Yeah, that would have been that would have been excellent. That would have been good stuff. Talk about beating the hell out of each other. Talking about money. I mean, I don't know that they're going to draw whatever Hogan's drawing, but count me in. I'm down for those matches. Oh, yeah, me too. Man. With Heyman looking like, it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it looks like Terry Gordy's about to hit rock hard Rick with the DDT because now all three Freebirds do the DDT for whatever reason. And Jimmy Garvin wants in. He wants to get the pin, and they've been pretty prominently featuring Jimmy Garvin getting the wins here. So Gordy obliges. He tags in Garvin. Garvin in with the DDT on Rock Hard Rick for the win in four minutes. And I mentioned last week on the main event, there was supposed to be a Scott Hall video that was missing, and I was pretty bummed. No fear. We get, we get it this week. When the going get tough, the tough get going. It's Scott Hall on the beach. He must have been out there with the dudes. You think he was out there with the dudes? He's playing volleyball. There's some kind of... I'm not even... I don't live near a beach. I don't know what the hell this is, but he's playing some kind of ping pong without a table on the beach, and he's not the only one doing it. There's like three or four other pairs of people playing this game with ping pong paddles, knocking a ball back and forth in the air. It, it was almost kind of like a, a, a beach tennis. No, tennis, you have to hit the ground too. I don't know. I guess it was badminton without a net. I, I don't know what was going on here. Really weird. And then we've seen Scott uh, hanging out with some chicks, and these chicks actually looked like they were interested, unlike the girls that were in the in the ocean with the dudes who just happened to be in the same shot. So good right, for Scott right. Hall there with his uh, cheesy smile, his giant mustache, and awesome hair. Oh, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's definitely hanging out with the dudes. This is pre-click day, so him and Shane Douglas probably got along a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure that he's a gator here anymore. I, I mean, he's only been on TV, what, once or twice. So it's really I think hard. I've only seen him in that uh, that Ranger Ross tag match. I don't think we've seen, maybe his singles here and there, but I don't remember seeing much of anything with him. Yeah, so. in one of these videos, we do see one of his dark matches uh, from center stage, where he I think he wins with a bulldog. But other than that, not a whole lot of Scott Hall. Mm-hmm. And speaking of videos, I did notice that there were no no dynamic dudes videos on these two weeks of TV. So I think after the hippie hippie shake, and then the. Uh, dynamic dudes at play videos uh that was pretty much the end of that like you you can't come back from that so maybe they've learned their lesson here with the dudes anyway sorry fellas i'm done doing everything i can do for you i know you're disappointed no more dudes videos and uh we're back to the ring it's tv champion sting taking from out of town snake brown stinger splash and scorpion that was the match i didn't leave anything out 20 seconds sting gets the win and immediately following the match, Terry Funk comes in and nails Sting in the back with a branding iron and drives it into his head. And oh my God, yes, we have our first bit of blood here in the NWA. It only took over six months of TV. They put the censored bar up to hide the bleeding. And this is pre-recorded, so there's no excuse. But in several shots, we clearly see Sting's bladed. He's bleeding down his forehead. And Terry winds up branding him with the branding iron here, too. So just a little more oomph to their Great American Bash feud. Unfortunately, like I said, pointed out, it doesn't even take place on a lot, a lot of the shows. Yeah, man, we finally get to see some blood here on the NWA. Yeah, it was awesome. It was kind of similar to the Outlaw Ron Bass, Brutus Beefcake 
angle where they put the sensor bar over, but you still see it just enough to whet your appetite to want to see more uh, as far as the match goes. I don't know about the blood. Yeah, this is very well done. This is awesome. I'm, and I'm glad the match went only 20 seconds because um, Snake Brown, man, this is yeah. what he's good for right here. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it's funny that this happened because I just said on the last episode that Snake Brown's good for a quick squash against guys like, I think I said JYD and Sting, and here we get the match like the very next week. So that worked out well, and uh, they did exactly what they needed to do with him. Great look, but he's not gonna, you know, give you a good match. So I love Sting just coming in there and beating him, and we go right into the angle, and it just gave a reason for Sting to be out there. And I love how they put the censored sign up because they do that not to piss the television companies off, not to piss the, the fans that are against these things off, but they show just enough blood for fans like you and I who want to see it. So they please everyone in the long run here with, uh, with showing it but not showing it. Yeah, this is awesome. This is probably one of the best things that happened in, all, in both weeks of TV was this angle. And it's tag team action with the SST taking on Mark Smith and Lee Scott. This is the first of three times Lee Scott will take on the SST here over the next two weeks. And I, I noted here, uh, well, first we'll talk about how the show, uh, the match starts off. There's a clip of the SST and dangerously attacking Paul Ellering from last week's Power Hour. Now we learn that Paul, Paul Ellering is out of action for an unannounced period of time. Obviously that just is going to further piss off the road warriors. So the SST hit the ring. They attack the jobbers. Dear God, Lee Scott goes about, Oh, 15 feet in the air for a backdrop. If you don't believe me, go watch this. <laughs> He's lucky. He tucked and landed on, on his back because it was getting pretty close. Scott likes to get thrown up in the air and then he doesn't really tuck until He's about to come down. So he he's lucky he's a, he's a smaller guy and can get away with that. But it was a rough look. It, it he got shot up there like like, like a cannon. Oh my god! And uh, the I match he was goes gonna die. <laughs> yeah, and this wasn't even the best one by my estimation of the two weeks. And uh, I'll talk more about that as we get to World Championship Wrestling. But Fatu wins this splash. Uh, wins this match with a splash. Uh, Mark Smith in a minute and eight seconds. Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, he probably they probably set this up like, hey man, we're gonna launch you. Are you good? Oh sure. Yeah, I'm gonna make it look great. I'm gonna look I'm gonna make it look great, man. I'm not I got you. And then he goes out there, damn near kills himself three times in a row. And I'm like So he has to be doing it on purpose. First time it's an accident, okay, I didn't tuck right. Then he does it two other times, so you know he's doing it on purpose and man, he waits till the very last second to rotate. It's like a second off. He, he's gone. Like his next shot, it's over. But yeah. thankfully that didn't happen. But man, what a brutal looking spot. My goodness. It's Pedicino Nose with the top 10. The top 10 still hasn't changed, but it will change next week twice. And, and I'll get to that next week. Uh, here Pedicino talks like Luger's heel turn. Luger's obviously angry that Steamboat's number one and not him because Luger's the U.S. champ. And typically the U.S. champion is number one. That's basically what this episode of Pedicino Knows is all about. It's Ranger Ross in the ring taking on Jake Montgomery. I'm not familiar with him. Haven't seen him before. Don't know if we'll see him again. But next week, we learn that Ranger Ross gets a U.S. title shot against Lex Luger right here on Worldwide. Combat kick ends this one in only a minute and one second. Promo time with the Steiner brothers. We get a pre-tape here. It's basically a, a typical generic promo. Once again, I'm the not varsity club of Sullivan and Rotunda. I don't know about you, but I I'm ready to see this feud come to an end. 
Yeah, me too, man. I'm getting so tired of hearing people getting called morons and idiots and stupid and your mom birthed two dumb idiots. And that, like, that's all Rotunda can say. Like, his, he's so terrible at cutting a promo. Like, oh, you're just a stupid idiot. And then Rick Steiner responds, oh, you're just a fat little toad. And it, it's it's so played out. It's so past its time that it just needs to go away. I don't know if it's Rotunda that needs to go away. Sullivan's okay to me, but man, I don't know. It, it's overstated. It's welcome by at least three months. And we cut away from the pre-taped Steiner promo to the ring for Sullivan and Rotunda and tag team action, taking on John Brewer and the future glacier Ray Lloyd, uh, aggressive attack here by Sullivan and Rotunda. They've been like pit bulls on, on the job guys lately, just really making it look stiff. And the butterfly suplex and double stomp combo ends it here on Brewer in a minute and 36 seconds. And man, the squashes are fast today. Yeah, thankfully. I mean, you get, I don't know, I can't remember how many matches there are, but there's like seven or eight on this show, it feels like, and it just kept on coming and coming and coming. But uh, they've been fun. And they've been building up the Ric Flair press conference for July 1st. They've kind of been building it up for the 605 show, the World Championship Wrestling show at night, as if it's taking place during that show or earlier that day. But they actually air it all weekend on the syndicated shows and everything. And so just to separate up some of the sound bites, uh, it's time for the Ric Flair pet press conference here on Worldwide. And I'm going to play that here in a second. I just want to point out, remember, this is where Ric Flair announces whether he's retiring from the sport or returning to the ring. And we're going to listen. Now it's going to start off with Jim Hurd at the podium, and he's going to bring up Ric Flair to make his announcement right now. Thank you, and uh, I'd like to uh, welcome the television audience as well as those of you in this room to today's press conference for World Championship Wrestling. Uh, we're very excited that uh, uh, finally uh, Ric Flair is ready along with his doctor to uh, make an announcement about his future. We, quite frankly, have been in a dilemma here at World Championship Wrestling uh, about what's going to happen to the World Championship belt and the world championship for that matter and uh, I'm sure there's some uh, questions that need to be answered uh, for those of you viewing uh, plus the press here but uh, first we'll uh, we'll let Rick uh, Rick Flair uh, tune us in as to what his future plans are Rick Mr. Hurt thank you very much well as I stated two weeks ago this probably has been the most difficult period of my entire career I uh Sustained an injury, as I'm sure you're all aware, that at one time I felt might take me away from a sport that has meant everything in the world to me. I'm here today, number one, to announce the fact that I am going to continue in the sport of professional wrestling. And I'm here to ask a favor of Mr. Jim Hurd, and that is that as the world champion, I have to wrestle the top 10 contenders or one of the top 10 contenders and I've asked Mr. Hurd and World Championship Wrestling to sign a match between myself and Terry Funk. Uh, I made the decision actually five days ago to stay in this sport. I spent a lot of time with my doctor. I spent a lot of time with myself. And as a matter of fact, five days ago, I took a long look at myself in the mirror and I said, Ric Flair, you better get up and you better get going. This has been the greatest sport in the world. I'm back in. I'm back in 120%. And I've asked Jim Hurd and the National Wrestling Alliance if they would grant me one special favor, and that's that on the 23rd of July, and I will not wrestle before the 23rd of July, 
if they will grant me a world championship title match with any stipulation they want with Terry Funk in Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore is a town that I think a lot of, and I want to start back as the world champion, the 23rd, and I want to show the wrestling world why I have been where I have been the last eight years. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Hurd. Well, there you have it. Ric Flair has decided to come back along with the approval of his doctor, and we're very happy about it. Uh, we'll sign the papers here, Terry Funk, obviously, and I know some of the fans out there are wondering. Uh, Ric Flair's contract has a clause in it that uh, lets him approve uh, one of the top ten uh, that uh, he will defend the championship with. So we have given him that opportunity to go against Terry Funk. There's some other questions that I know that a lot of the fans have been asking about why uh, we would allow Terry Funk to uh, do some of the things he's done. We've, we've reprimanded Terry, we've fined Terry, and we've thought about suspending him, but this uh, puts a whole new light on what we're doing. Uh, he is a former world champion. Uh, it's a free world out there, and Ric Flair, as we've known him over the years, is prepared to defend the title against anybody. So I think the fans are entitled to see this uh, uh, bout, and I think uh, Rick is very, very concerned that uh, Terry has tarnished his image, and I'm pretty sure that he's going to try to rectify that on July 23rd. Thank you very much. And so after all that buildup, Rick Flair to the podium, and in 90 seconds addresses everyone in his regards to his future in the NWA, and I guess... I don't need something long and drawn out, but this is build up as huge and winds up lasting like 90 seconds. And uh, if this were a real press conference, I think there'd be a lot of pissed off people. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind it. It's wrestling. So it's wrestling. I mean, that's, that's how I justify it a little bit, but there's a few things here. Jim Hurd's terrible <laughs> at doing anything. This press conference for me, I mean, he didn't do very hot there. Sounds like he was just stuttering over his words a little bit, and that's it's not very good if you're a president or something like that. But uh, that's beside the point. So Ric Flair has creative control, kind of just to pick who he wants to fight as long as they're in the top ten. And then also, why wouldn't you want to wrestle up until the twenty third? Like, why would you hold yourself hostage in order to get this match? I, I get you want to get a funk, but wouldn't you want to get back in the ring and work off some rust before you get there? I mean, I don't. Some of the well, stuff just didn't make sense. I think the shoot reason we all, we both know is they want to sell the pay-per-view. They want everyone to know that we will not see Ric Flair back in the ring until that pay-per-view. That is a huge deal. You know, we're, we're getting the very yeah. first time. Ric Flair's return, basically, is, is what that's being sold at. And, and for a press conference, you know, I, I don't give it a 10 <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, there, there was barely anybody there, so I was a little lackluster. But at least there was nobody. At least Jim Hurd wasn't standing up there telling anyone to put that cigarette out. So I, I guess I give him that much. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Ric Flair is definitely <laughs> returning to the NWA. What a shock! Here at the Great American Shocker. Bash on the twenty third. The only thing that caught my ear here this time that never has in the past. Flair opened up uh, to any stipulation. He told the NWA. It almost seemed like maybe there was an idea at some point where. This was going to be maybe a gimmick match of some type. I'm not really sure. I'm just throwing stuff against the wall here. But he he mentioned that, and so I just I hadn't noticed that in the past. He said the NWA can make it any kind of match stipulation, add any kind of stipulation they want to the match, which they don't. We just get a one on one match, as far as I can remember. Stipulations come down the line, don't they? 
<laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. So, yeah, Ric Flair's back. It's uh, huge news. The press conference is out of the way. And it's Funk and Flair on the 23rd in the main event of the Great American Bash. Yet another big match coming up later this month on pay-per-view. Jim Cornette promo, and it's basically Cornette shilling his upcoming bash match with Paulie Dangerously. Here, Cornette calls it Anything Goes, which is basically what it is, but it winds up turning into a tuxedo match on top of that. And then Cornette also mentions the Midnight Express will be the next World Tag Team Champions. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. So Cornette's shilling a bunch of things here that don't happen. Cornette does wrestle Paulie at the, pay- at the pay-per-view as well, so at least we know that's coming up also. Back to the ring, it's Terry Funk against Ricky Santana. We just saw these two last week on the Power Hour. Now we're getting them this week on Worldwide. I found last week's match to be much, much better. Uh, Funk chokes Santana here with some tape around from around his wrist, sends him to the floor. Ricky Santana finds, I don't know, what was it, a shirt or something along those lines. He chokes Funk back with that. He gets back in the ring, or gets back in the ring and tries a suicide dive. I think he kind of catches himself on the ropes. I'm not really sure what happens here, but Funk ducks anyway. Santana's supposed to miss. It's kind of like Eddie Guerrero's spot with Funk several weeks ago, just not as good. So Santana misses a shitty suicide dive. Terry Funk pile drives him on the floor, rolls him inside, and <laughs> I, oh, I took pictures, Steve. <laughs> But Funk picks Santana up for another pile driver in the ring and for no reason whatsoever takes his right hand and purposely grabs Ricky Santana's junk with his hand. Not by this was completely on purpose. I don't know if it was a rib or what was going on, but he just grab, grabs all of Ricky Santana's junk with his right hand and pile drives him again. Terry Funk gets the win in about five and a half minutes. Much more of a squash than the one from last week. Hey, I didn't pick up on the crotch grab there. Not really paying that much attention to that. <laughs> oh, it's right in the camera, man. <laughs> uh, maybe I looked away. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I didn't see it. That's <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, it, it's kind of like that, similar to that spot at WrestleMania 5. I mean, I, everybody knows it by now when the Bushwhacker is getting him some. I think it's uh, Raymond in, in the <laughs> in the body slam. But um, I don't know why that shit happens. I'm sure it's just a rib, funk having fun. I don't know, but that's kind of disgusting. Yeah, they say Andre used to take his thumb and, and shove it in guys' asses. So, yeah, Well, Onita <laughs> had fireworks coming out of guys' asses, too, so who knows? Yeah, all kinds of things going on in wrestling. What's up with that? <laughs> there's, an episode of, there's an episode of, not to go completely off topic, but I just thought of this, too. There's an episode of All-Star Wrestling, one of the late 70s episodes where, uh, Andre's working a handicap match, and I think it's Johnny Rods. might have been Jose Estrada on top, but they're laying face down, and Andre sits on all the jobbers. They're stacked up, and he sits on top of him, and he, right, uh, his legs are spread, and he reaches down between his legs, and he pinches the ass of whoever's laying on top, and a complete rib, obviously, but it's, it was hilarious. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just something about these damn wrestlers, man. I don't know what's going on with that. Bored four hours deep in a TV tape and you gotta <laughs> make it fun. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, speaking of tapes, uh, we get a pre-tape promo from Lex Luger here to close the show. Lex says he's the number one contender for everything the sport has to offer. Ric Flair's fairy tale is about to end. He references Ricky Steamboat. He tells him he has a choice to give up the number one contender ranking or feel more pain from the total package. Steamboat and his family life makes Lex sick. You and me both, buddy. And uh, he's done catering to the fans. It's uh, more heel Luger here. 
Yeah, I thought this was pretty good, and I immediately thought of you when he said that um, he detests everything Steamboat stands for, his kid <laughs> and his cute little wife, and he finds it disgusting. I'm sure there's a lot of truth to that, <laughs> as far as Luger goes in 1989. But, uh, yeah, he was having a blast, and I will say I did um, – he was on – facebook recently and i asked him a question and uh how he felt about turning heel here and he said uh well if you ask people back then they thought i was a natural heel and um it just came naturally to him and he kind of had this look on his face where he's laughing and kind of like oh yeah yeah you know yeah i was and um but i asked him (laughs) the main part of my question was did he feel rejuvenated like uh something changed over the weeks when he turned heel and he's like absolutely he definitely felt a rejuvenation and he felt more comfortable in what he was doing and we can clearly see it here so uh he, he's off the charts right now yeah he's definitely enjoying himself and he's doing a great job so whoever whoever's call that was in the office to turn luger heel here i don't know if it was lex asking to turn heel or if if it was jim ross or someone who said we need another heel i don't really know whose idea it was but uh man uh <laughs> great job here turning Lex heel. It's unfortunate that, that, you know, abruptly ends because of Sting's injury next year, but yeah, it's fun while it lasts. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I would have loved to know where they were going. If he would have just stayed heel, ran his course. You would have had to have thought that they would have went to Sting and Luger. No, he's a heel. Sting was getting the belt. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I don't want to go off topic, but it's, it is interesting. Starcade or you think they would have drug it to Starcade or mm. ended up at Havoc? Maybe Bash. Because Sting would have won the title long before that. Although, oh, yeah, could... he would have won a Wrestle War. So, yeah, yeah. Man, who knows? What could have been? Yeah. And it's on to 605 because we're back at 605, baby. World Championship Wrestling for July 1st. We kick things off with highlights of Terry Funk pile driving Ric Flair on the table from Wrestle War. I know we've seen it to death at this point, but at least it'll only be on TV for a, a couple more weeks. We kick the show off, and Jim Ross goes back to the end of last week's show. Remember that episode? What a wild hour of WCW that was. And we ended the show with Eddie Gilbert out there. He'd welcome back Tommy Rich. Afterwards, Jim Ross wanted to see how to do that fire thing. Show me how you do that fire thing. And Gary Hart shows up. He has some derogatory comments towards Missy Hyatt, which upsets Gilbert. He attacks Gary Hart. And Eddie Gilbert made sure to wear his best white long sleeve shirt so that Muda could come out, missed him red, and beat him with the kendo stick. And obviously, they went with red there for obvious reasons. They can't do blood, even though they kind of just did it with Sting. They can't do big juice. And so they do the red mist, kind of symbolic of blood, basically, in that angle. And it was it was well done. Great way to end the show. Really hot. I loved it. We pointed out that last time. Uh, mm-hmm. Eddie conveniently wore that all-white shirt, even long yeah. sleeves to even emphasize it even more. Because we're in the dead of summer here in Atlanta. I know it's hot, and that building didn't seem to be too air-conditioned. I'm sure there's air-conditioning, but it still looked warm. These guys were sweating pretty bad. And uh, he had a long sleeve to even emphasize it even more. So mm-hmm. um, very well done. Just awesome stuff. We kick things off in the ring with the great Muda taking on the returning Italian Stallion, one of my favorite job guys of the 80s. Stallion is back, and it looks like he's been indulging in plenty of pasta and maybe even some of Virgil's breadsticks from the Olive Garden. Got a little bit of a belly on him now. In reality, the stallion is Gary Sabaw, and he's a former two-time AAU national champion and also a world spaghetti-eating champion. That's a real thing, Steve. That's awesome. <laughs> I can smash some spaghetti, man. That's some good stuff. 
Uh, Stallion gets in a few shots here and there to make him look halfway decent, but Muda uses that chop to the throat again, just out of nowhere. Gets the win in two minutes and 40 seconds. It feels like they're building back to the moonsault. They've clearly at this point taken away all of Muda's cool finishers for these chops and things of that nature. I think so we get those big moves in the bigger matches. That's my feeling anyway. And then just for good measure after the match, Muda takes Stallion down with the kendo stick for good measure to continue pushing that Dragon Shy match with Eddie Gilbert on the Bash Tour. So good little segment there with the great Muda. I'm still waiting to see the damned Moonsault return. Patience, man. They'll get there. Patience, Grasshopper. A <laughs> and W Cream Soda, King of the Slam. Vote yes or no on Ricky's Steamboat. I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> uh, replay of the Ric Flair press conference, or if you listen to Jim Ross here, it's the first time. We're watching the Ric Flair press conference, and I won't bore you by playing that twice, but as we come out of the press conference here on on the World Championship Wrestling Program, Jim Ross is standing by with Terry Funk, who's carrying his luggage with him, a duffel bag. Here's the promo of Terry Funk with Jim Ross after the Flair conference. We're going to see what Funk has to say about Ric Flair announcing that he's back in the NWA. Well, what did he decide? You tell me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've, we've heard the press conference. Nature Boy Ric Flair will be back in action on July the 23rd to wrestle this man in Baltimore, Maryland at the Great American Bash. Where, where are you going? I am headed to the airport. That's where I'm headed. Flair can do all the training that he wants. I'm going to tell you right now, I have something that you can't train for. I have a whole lot of hearts, a whole lot of guts, and I know exactly where I'm going. I'm not only going to the airport, I'm going to the top of the professional wrestling world whenever I take that world's championship from Ric Flair. And there isn't a doubt in my mind because my daddy was a pistol and I'm a son of a gun. I'm meaner than a rattlesnake, tougher than shoe leather, more dangerous than a hollow-eyed scorpion and middle-aged and crazy. And that is exactly how I got this match is because I am middle-aged and crazy, but crazy like a fox. And I'll see you later, sonny boy, when I got that gold belt around my waist. Because right now, my luggage is packed and I know where I am going. And I am going in a straight line. I think your cab's waiting for you, so why don't you just go ahead and go on, fans. We'll be back with more World Championship Wrestling in one moment. Okay, so 90 seconds ago, Jim Ross asked Terry Funk where he was going. And other than a straight line, Steve, did you figure out during this promo where the hell Terry Funk's off to? To the top of the wrestling business. Does, uh, that's does all Terry, I got out of it. Does Terry Funk even know where he's going right now other than in a straight line? <laughs> no, he does not. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what he's doing. Middle-aged but, uh, and crazy. Crazy the indeed. straight line was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know what... <laughs> he pulled that out of his ass. Uh, that was obvious. He had no idea what he was doing. No. The best part was he was starting to walk off, and he, he, as he's saying it, I know where I'm going, and I'm going in a straight line, and he's starting to walk <laughs> off the set as he's saying it, and it's pretty funny visually, but he was doing good, and then it kind of just tailored off there at the end, and he never really, I don't know, it's kind of all over the place, but it, it, it's it's funk. And I, like I said, I think they need to get to the match. It's, it's time. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, we get a Great American Bash commercial uh, hy- hyping the actual card. I think this is the first time we get that. 
We learn there's a 10-man war games match, and while they don't announce the participants yet, we see images of the Road Warriors and the SST, the Freebirds and the Midnights and Doc, so we kind of have an idea of what's coming there. The finals of the Triple Crown Battle Royal will also be on the pay-per-view, which makes sense. We already got two rings there, so why not have both things? I'm not going to argue. We know Funk versus Flair is headlining now, and while they don't actually come out and say the matches, we see Steamboat and Luger, we see Sting and Muda, Five matches right there, Steve. You can stop right there with that lineup by itself, and I'm sold. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know the Bash Tour, they ran a lot of the same matches that you see on the pay-per-view or seen on the big show. And if that's what they was running in those shows and they're doing that poorly, man, uh, it's just, I don't know, dude. I don't want to keep harping on it, but, man, that's sad. Cause this shit a- is, it's hot on TV anyway. Yeah. We get a promo with the Steiner brothers, and they continue to put over the Rick Steiner-Kevin Sullivan street fight that's scheduled for the Boston Garden leg of the Great American Bash Tour. I don't know why they pick this specific stop at the Bash to continue promoting on TV, because they don't do that for any other house show of the Bash Tour. Not Greensboro, not Charlotte, not Philadelphia, not Landover. It's it, they, they hadn't talked about any, not the Omni. I think they do mention the Omni in passing once. But it's just odd that for some reason we keep hearing about this Boston Garden match every week. And I know Sullivan's from Boston. Maybe that's a Sullivan thing. He's putting it on here. But it just seems like uh, that's all they seem to be favoring. And that doesn't even seem like the main match on the card. And it's not. So it's just really weird. Just makes you wonder if they wanted to, since Boston was sounds like it was the biggest arena that they ran, that WWF ran, they really wanted to push it to try to come close to a WWF show. We knew it wasn't possible, but they probably want to do a little bit better than probably what they did. So I, I understand completely, but Sullivan and Rick Steiner in a street fight, it probably isn't going to do the job. <laughs> Maybe Sting and Funk should push that a little bit if that happened. But yeah, that's, that's part of it, I'm guessing. Yeah, and during this promo, we see clips from, I think it was last week, where Rick Steiner was giving Robin Green flowers and then Kevin Sullivan and Rotunda tear him up, throw him back in her face. As we go to the ring for a Steiner Brothers Tag Team Squash match, they take on Mike Awesome and Rock Hard Rick. The Steiners are, of course, accompanied by the lovely Missy Hyatt and a pit bull. And I don't know that we catch the pit bull's name here, or as Jim Ross refers to it, a pit bull dog. And uh, Rick Steiner, I won't say he debuts the Steiner line. However, Jim Ross appears to debut the name of the Steiner line here because he says something along the lines of, most people throw clotheslines, he throws Steiner lines. So this is the first time I caught the name Steiner line since we've been watching the NWA. And this is also where Scott debuts the backflip power slam, which Dave Meltzer had uh, named the uh, blockbuster power slam. And I always thought Scott was going to break his neck every time he did this move. And he just didn't disappoint here again, uh, or at least this is the first time we've seen it, but I've seen it plenty of times. And uh, he doesn't disappoint. Looks like he damn near breaks his neck here as well in this match doing the move. But cool, cool damn move. I- I'll give him that much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's way too big to be doing something like that. But it seems like he always did land on his head and then have to float over to finish it off. So it kind of lost the impact. But if he could do that backflip and this land is flat, uh, that would have been awesome. Yeah, so we get the debut of the name of the Steiner line here, and we get the debut of the blockbuster power slam if you will and for those who aren't familiar with this because scotty toned it down he, he he's using it every match here because he, he just, i don't i'm not saying he just learned it but it's, it's like you, it's like a brand new toy and he's showing it off 
But and and I'd even read uh, Meltzer claimed they did a, a spot on one of the house shows where the Steiners were in there. I'm not sure who their partner was, but they took on all three Freebirds, and Scott wound up hitting that move on all three Freebirds, including Gordy, which that would have been a sight to see. And for anyone who's never seen the wow. move. Uh, you basically hold the guy up in a fallaway slam position, and then you proceed to do a backflip, a moonsault, if you will, with them into a power slam. And that's what Scott's doing here, or at least trying to do. And it's funny watching Mike Awesome play the jobber of the team over uh, Rock Hard Rick, because Awesome's been taking a lot of the jobs. And a overhead belly-to-belly, and this was aw- this is awesome, no pun intended, as Rick actually has Mike Awesome up in the air. He never even puts his feet on the mat before he tosses him over his head and an overhead belly to belly. Then Scott comes in, hits the rolling belly to belly, ends it three minutes, 11 seconds. The Steiners get the win on Mike Awesome. And I thought the Pitbull matched the gimmick, but it felt very copycat WWF and really unnecessary, even though it was fun watching Rick Steiner get down on all fours and crawl around and play with the dog after the match. Yeah. I can't remember his name. Uh, Again, another one of those signings was on, on Facebook and Rick Steiner was on there and I can't remember. He was talking about somebody. They always mess with him with the dog and he named the dog. I can't remember his name. He said that one of the guys hated him. Like he was scared to death of the dog and they kept on messing with him with the dog, but I I can't remember who it was or what the dog's name was. But um, yeah, I wish I knew. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one person that wasn't afraid of the dog, Missy Hyatt. She was having some fun. (laughs) <laughs> playing oh, around yeah. with the dog as well. So it was a fun little squash segment though, with the Steiners, Missy, the Pitbull, and all that good stuff. I'll tell you who probably didn't have a lot of fun. Lee Scott here. He's back this time teaming with Trent Knight two former uh, VIP jobber of the month teaming up against the Samoan SWAT team. This is match number two in a trifecta of Lee Scott taking on the SST here this week on the grenade. And it's quite the jobber tag team, Scott and Knight out there, but you wouldn't know that taking on the SST. So I, I guess we're not selling the fireball at all because I know for a fact this was taped after the clash. And Trent Knight just, you know, like you said, he's hiding it under the beard maybe. So we got the SST out there. They're out there eating raw pineapples. Paul E. on the promo putting over the war games and his one-on-one match with Jim Cornette. And they do the backdrop again here. And the camera, I'm not sure if this is post-edit or they just knew it was coming. But they do the hard camera. It's far, the, a far away shot of the ring or as far away as you can get here. and. They launched Scott 20 feet in the air. If he went 15 last time, he went 20 this time. This was <laughs> insane. This has to be a record. I know the Warlord one time shot Shawn Michaels so far into the, the sky. I was like bewildered. And there's a great picture of that in a, in a mag somewhere. And, and everybody on Michael's team looking up in the air like, holy shit. It was, it's a really yeah. great picture. I think it's from Survivor Series 90. But this. Yeah, it's 90. This destroys that backdrop. I mean, this, he, Sean doesn't come close. Lee Scott. I mean, you always hear the joke about getting a uh, frequent flyer miles. That joke could not come in better than in this match. Lee Scott goes so high in the air. I fear for his life. And then some, he doesn't manage to row. He's up there long enough and high enough that he has plenty of time to rotate and land. But what a sick bump. I mean, that was higher than a top of a cage. Oh my God. Ross, I think Ross summed it up perfectly. If he lives to tell his grandkids about this, it would be a miracle. <laughs> like, that's how bad he got beat against the SST here. My God. And that wasn't even the end for Lee Scott. He never even tags out in this match. He takes a back superplex from Samu and eats the Fatu splash. The SST get the win. All of this in a minute and 50 seconds. And then even though Knight never tagged in, he gets a nice pineapple to the head for his troubles. And holy balls, Lee Scott. God bless you. If this guy had done the Mikey Whipwreck gimmick, he would have been gold. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's perfect for him. I put down here, he could lock up Java of the month after on day one with that backdrop. And then the yeah. back suit, the back suit off the middle rope. Like, holy shit, dude, he put his body <laughs> on the line every time he's in the ring with those guys for very minimal pay. Uh, man, kudos to you, Lee Scott. You're a trooper, buddy. I'm finding your ass, Lee Scott. I'm, I'm, I'm finding you. We got to get Lee Scott on this show. I mean, I haven't said that yet about anybody, but yeah, we need, uh, well, maybe Chopper. I'd also, I'd be, also be curious to interview Chopper, Steve Casey, but, and uh, <laughs> Lee Scott, man, uh, you're definitely top of the list. I, we, somebody help us locate Lee Scott, please. Somebody say something about fired up. It's wildfire Tommy Rich back on TBS. Oh, is this 1981? No. It's 1989, and he's taking on wild Bill Irwin, of all people, to stick him in the ring against to get Tommy over. And so he's back on TBS. He's coming out to all my rowdy friends that are coming over tonight. Tommy in the ring. Uh, of course, he takes the beat down from Bill Irwin so he can make the big hot comeback. And the Thez Press ends it here in just about five minutes for a wildfire Tommy Rich. So victorious in his return to the TBS rings. Not, not a very fun match. But at least Tommy Rich is, uh, well, at least he won. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing to this match. It was not very good. Uh, Bill Irwin did Tommy Rich no favors. And, uh, yeah, just a stinker. Five minutes of that. It's unfortunate. Yeah, the only favors Bill Irwin's doing anybody is laying on his back for three seconds. Uh, that's pretty much about it as pretty far much. as get, getting somebody over. Hey, man, there's always the goon. Yeah, leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> skyscrapers time accompanied the ring by theodore r long taking on mark smith and glacier ray lloyd i don't know about norman but the skyscrapers make long an immediate major player as a manager as i stand there watching him he just fits somehow in a sick way with the skyscrapers here and i just i, I thought it immediately shot him up the ranks and you have to wonder would would he have left the skyscrapers with gary hart had Long not proven to be a good talker and, and able to carry this manager gimmick so quickly. Yeah, it's just crazy. How long has it been? Like three months? It's been less than that, that he's been actually managing somebody. Probably like two weeks. I know he's been cutting promos and things like that, but he's never really, he hasn't been actually managing anyone until Norman. Right, and Clash. He gets skyscrapers. Yeah, the Clash. So, uh, I mean, that's three weeks ago. And yeah, the fact that, this is how good he's doing after three weeks of doing the job. I mean, I mean get it, we get it. He's been scouting and being out there cutting promos about being fired as a referee and all that. But he's kind of just been out there. It's like the, the month in between or the first month of him cutting the promos about being fired. And then the clash, he was there. He was just out there talking and not talking, but just doing scouting and things like that and didn't really do much. And for him to just pick up and take off is just amazing, man. Good stuff. Yeah, it's been very impressive, and I even noticed in the observers, Demeltz gives him props to the point where he says, by the end of the year, Long might be one of the top three managers in the wrestling business by that point. So I'm kind of curious because I'm wondering who he's not factoring in there. I don't know. I'm sure he's got Cornette high on that list and maybe even Paul E., but Bobby Heenan I would have to think would be in there. So it's curious to see who he was edging out in favor of Teddy Long. But Long definitely got – they handed him the ball, and he really ran with it and did a good job here. During this match, though, Norman comes out and tries to get in the ring. He's crazy, remember? So he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. He's trying to get in the ring. And the only funny thing about this was he had another seatbelt or something strapped to his head, but he had a, a red balloon attached. And there was just something funny with a 
a goofball running around ringside with a red balloon attached to their forehead. I thought, I thought it was funny. Now this gets less funny as time goes on because this becomes a running gag, not the balloon, but the, the Norman coming out during these matches. I think it takes away from the skyscrapers who have just debuted. And, you know, I, I get that these, uh, these are the only other guys long manages, but I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of it beyond yeah, this, this, this match. And, what the story is, is that Norman's out there. He's goofy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying to get in the ring. He doesn't realize it's not his match. So Teddy Long has to pull out the keys and calm Norman down, and uh, everything's right in the world again. What did you think of the Norman run-ins? We'll get it out of the way now before I, I, it happens again and again. Yeah, I don't like it. It, it, just, it just lowers the skyscrapers. They're supposed to be serious and badass dudes, and they got to tail this guy around. and It just diminishes what they're doing. Uh, they should have been separate. I get it. They're the same. But really, nobody affiliated with Rick Rude from the Heenan family. He was like on that upper echelon as far as the Heenan family goes. And he, nobody really was around with him. So I don't know why you'd bring out Norman. I get Teddy Long's managing him. But are they afraid to leave him by himself? Because Long's the only one that control him with the key. So he has to be out there. I mean, if you think of it that way, it makes sense. But yeah, yeah I'm not but a fan of it. It, is, it Norman takes doesn't... away from the skyscraper. Yeah, but Norman doesn't come out with them. He wanders out there after the fact. It's like he found his way out of the broom closet or wherever the hell Teddy Long. Teddy Long should have took some notes from Macho Man on how to lock people away properly. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, if you have the keys, why don't you just lock them away? <laughs> just lock him up. <laughs> it's a skeleton key, man. It works everywhere. Lock him in a broom closet. Let him out afterwards. Exactly. Uh, what do you think of being called from Metropolis? That always stuck out to me. It always resonated. I loved it when Rhubarb Jones said it, Gary Michael Capetta the same way. I just thought it, it's probably cheesy, and most people probably do find it cheesy as hell, but, man, it just sounded awesome, and it, it fit. It, just fit. it was just part of the total package that was the skyscrapers. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, that's their name, the skyscrapers, so it kind of fit the whole Metropolis thing. I don't know that I had a, an opinion on it either way. I'm sure at times I thought it was hokey, and, I'm you know, and other times. Here are, in, in 2020, in my 40s, I, I'm fine with it. I like it. It's cool. I'm sure at times, though, I'm you know, smarmy ass me. Maybe maybe I shit all over it. I don't remember going back 20, 25 years. But yeah, I mean, I was I was okay with it. It beats Las Vegas, Nevada, which is where they were announcing Sid from. You know, the, when he debuted as a singles, and it certainly beats West Memphis, Arkansas, and Odessa, Florida. So I mean, yeah, it works for me. And what doesn't work for me though is, as you pointed out in the last match, the scrapers had. They don't really know what to do with them in the ring. These guys are totally capable of murdering people, but they're doing these kick and punch fests. And in this match, Spivey wins with a, a surfboard. He grabs, I think it's Mark Smith, by the wrist and yanks back on his wrist and, and sticks his foot in, in the middle of his spine and, and yanks back. And I'm not saying that's not realistic. I'm not saying Spivey couldn't get you to submit if he did that to you. It just seemed like an odd finish. Match only goes a minute and 10 seconds. Skyscrapers win by submission. I think their squash made more sense work-wise than the last couple, but I don't know. And then we get these spike power bombs on both guys post-match. Why didn't they do that during the match? I don't know. In the match, like you didn't even really see him ring the bell or do anything. It was just odd. It, he did the surfboard, and then it kind of, like Sid came in and just slapped the hell out of him, and I guess he submitted, but I didn't hear the bell or do any. I didn't hear any of that. So it, it kind of just felt uneventful, kind of like, who is it, Wyndham and Flair from, like, Bash at the beach 93 or beach blast 93 how it just kind of oh, like he submitted yeah. it was over but then the bell came two or you know three or four seconds later that's kind of how this felt like i didn't even know the match was over then they come in and drop the power bomb I'm like oh this is over and i'm like oh it's over 
Right. But yeah, it, it, it just feels weird. So like we have a, a finish with whatever they did last time. We got the submission here. Then going forward, we're going to get even more different with the skyscraper. So I don't know if it's the skyscrapers coming up with this or if this is what they're getting booked to do and it's just not working or they just have no idea what they want to do with them yet. And no, it's very noticeable. There's definitely someone in their ear telling them what they want from them. I don't know if they're telling them the exact move to do, but I'm sure they're, they've been told what's expected of them or the finish. And we're going to see some, like you said, some weirder finishes than this moving forward. Uh, but we're going to close up this episode of World Championship Wrestling. So we saw the press conference earlier, and then we heard from uh, Terry Funk, and Jim Ross gets ready to send us off for the night when who appears? Ric Flair. A surprise appearance by Ric Flair. The Nature Boy is in the arena. He happened to be at Atlanta early that morning, and he's still there. He had to get more points across before he left town, and he had to say hello to the fans. And we're going to listen to what Ric Flair has to say here. Jim Ross completely shocked that Ric Flair shows up at the end of the program. Let's take a listen. Wait. Hey! Get the camera over there! There's the champion of the world! Nature boy Ric Flair! Man, I didn't know you were even going to be here! We're on, we don't have that much time. I didn't know you are here. Welcome back. We heard the announcement. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. Let me tell you how it goes, Jim. I was in Atlanta today to let the wrestling world know that Ric Flair is back in this sport. As you know, sometimes in professionalism, you gotta be kinda low-key. So I said that that tape I made today wasn't gonna get the message across unless I came out here and woo, all night long. So Terry Funk, this is short and to the point. I'm going to be in Baltimore, woo, style profile. And on the 23rd of July, 1989, I am going to kick your Texas. fun way to end this show. They've really found some fun ways to end this show the last several weeks. And Ric Flair makes a surprise appearance out of nowhere. Jim Ross sounds shocked. Flair comes out. He had more to say from the press conference. And this was far better than the actual press conference. So I'm glad he did it. The crowd was happy to see him. And it's exciting to have Ric Flair back on TV. I didn't know that I wanted Ric Flair back this much because we had so many other things going on. But now that he's back, I'm kind of excited for the Funk and Flair match. Absolutely. This is great. And I know it was taped and everything like that, but the NWA did a pretty good job of making their Saturday night show feel like it was live. And then this just helped it. Uh, he's, I think he's even wearing the same clothes that he wore at the press conference when he showed up. So the continuity was there, at least on Ric Flair's part. I don't know if 
anybody else is really paying attention, but he was. And yeah, this was great. Rick Fla- Jim Ross was shocked as hell to see him show up, and the promo was awesome. Hopefully, this helps Terry Funk get back on track as far as his promo goes, since Flair is giving him stuff to counter. So I'm interested to see where we go. I'm pretty excited for this now that he's back. I, I didn't realize I missed Ric Flair as much as I did. <laughs> and we'll move over to Sunday night, an NWA main event for July 2nd. We kick off the show with the de- singles debut of Flying Brian Pillman taking on George South. We have Lance Russell and Paul E. Dangerously on commentary. Paul E. puts over Pillman huge here. Talks about his football background, and he honestly he even says something along the lines of, I have nothing bad to say about flying Brian. I mean, he does kind of mention that I think Pillman makes a mistake and he, you know, other than uh, hinting that maybe he's a little green, Polly really puts Pillman over huge here, even though he's a baby face and Polly's the heel. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it definitely was. I think he even said too, that Pillman has the best drop kick in the business and is a great wrestler. So he was going hard. He was like, he was thirsty for some Brian Pillman. Uh, you wouldn't, you would have no idea that Paul Lee was a bad guy or a heel. It was very rem- to a commentate this match. Yeah, it was very reminiscent to Bobby Heenan on 95 Monday Nitro commentary, putting over like Eddie Guerrero and Johnny B. Bad and stuff, just trying to put over the talent to get the, the company or get these guys over, you know, instead of just doing the, the typical heel jargon that we get. So that was pretty cool by Paul Lee here. And we even see uh, Brian Pillman bust out the future Air Pillman, the springboard clothesline earlier in the match. It's not used as the finisher, though it should have been because during the finish, Pillman goes for a reverse body block and slips or or something, and he completely whiffs it and misses it and, and takes a, a bump. He gets right back up and runs off the ropes and lands a normal-looking body block and gets the win here, three minutes and 14 seconds. Pretty nice debut. And I, 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 again, I was surprised with the Heyman commentary. That's pretty cool. And we move on, and it's time for our second look at the Ding Dongs. And they're in the ring once again with Cougar J. Poor Cougar J has to wrestle the Ding Dongs twice in a row. This time, Cougar's partner is Keith Steinborn. This is really weird. The Ding Dongs get an entrance, but then the match is joined in progress. And I just wrote here, what the fuck? How bad did they screw up that this squash match had to be started off in progress, even though we got the entrance? Really weird. (laughs) I didn't pick up on that, to be honest with you. But, yeah, they, how bad did you have to mess up in order to get your entrance but cut the match? Yeah, um, I think I think it's sucked. even – I think it was Jim Ross on commentary for this particular match by himself. I think he did solo. And I, he even mentions that the match is joined in progress. So it, it wasn't like they hit it or, or did a cutaway like they do in some instances. It was very blatantly obvious that the match had already been ongoing by this point. And uh, the ding-dongs with a – Double suplex on Cougar J, who kicks out on one. Even Cougar J says F you to the Ding Dongs. Very sloppy stuff, just like Clash of the Champions. I thought maybe they'd get it together here. What's sad is these guys were even a team prior to the Ding Dongs in the Georgia Independent Territories. So very weird that these guys just, if they're not coming along, it's bad enough they're in the gimmick they're in. But the fact of the matter is they're not really good on top of it. And Jim Ross even makes a comment, and you could tell he's doing his best not to bury them. But he says, the ding-dongs, what will they think of next? (laughs) He's clearly (laughs) thinking out loud here and and trying to say what he wants to say without actually saying what he wants to say because that would have never made it to air. And this is another good one. And this is why I encourage you, Steve, to go back and watch this show. And if you guys have this episode of the main event, 
Go watch this match. I know you're like, oh, I don't want to watch the Ding Dongs. No, trust me. Not only is the match joined in progress to hide whatever the hell they did early on in the match, but not once, but twice during the match, they cut to a pre-taped crowd reaction. They cut to fans going crazy, raising the odds. They're, they're, they're excited. I don't know what the hell was really going on in the ring, but it clearly wasn't this match. And they cut back, and you can see the fans sitting on their hands. It was so blatant that, that these fan cuts were pre-tapes from, I don't know if it was another match or if it was just a camera panning around and getting the fans to cheer, but this was so blatantly obvious. It was pathetic. And Jim Ross puts over how the crowd is showing their approval during these fan cutaways. So it was just like extra noticeable for me. And uh, they're just trying to make you believe that the fans are cheering to make people get behind them. And it just did not work. They were booing the hell out of them before they spliced in some, probably their own audio or something. But uh, the crowd was booing pretty loud, and Jim Ross was trying to get it over that they were into it. He even said at the end too. I think it was after the match. Is uh, he said he said um, he thought ding dongs were junk food, and he's like maybe we'll be hosted by hostess one day. Who knows? <laughs> like he's trying to the way he said it is it, just coming across trying to figure out why the hell these guys are named the ding dongs. What are they doing here? And what are we going to come up with next? I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny as well. Jim Ross did these guys no favors on this match. No. Uh, he did He did as well as he could. He certainly bit his tongue, I felt. As the Dean Dongs mm-hmm. get the win with the same moves they used at the Clash, one of them nails a middle rope elbow drop. The other comes off the top with a knee drop to get the win in three minutes and 45 seconds. And then after the match, they've lost more bells off of their ankles and wrists. And one of the ding-dongs picks them up and starts throwing them out of the ring noticeably. So I thought, I thought that was a great way to end this ding-dong segment here. I can't wait. I think it's September. So let's go. <laughs> and it's Skyscraper's time here on the main event, taking on John Brewer and Jeff James. And we're back to Lance Russell and Paulie on commentary. Theodore R. Long out there with his tag team. Norman, once again, comes in. It's the same routine. Norman's out there. Minus the balloon, so it's not even funny this time for me. Teddy Long has the keys again. He's waving in front of Norman's face to calm him down, keep him from getting in the ring. The skyscrapers do their best to ignore Norman every time this happens. It's just, you have a guys out there, they're 6'8 and 6'9 or 6'9 and 6'10, whatever. They're monsters. They're being sold as monsters. You don't even have to sell it to me. I can just look at them, and they're monsters. They're killing these job guys. And you have a comedy bit running around ringside at the same time as going on, just to get them on the show, I guess. And I'm not a real big fan of that, but we get a double power bomb on Jeff James and Tommy Young checks on the jobber. It looked like a really nasty one. So I thought Tommy was legitimately checking on him here. And then Sid just slaps the job guy around. Tommy Young finally calls for the bell. There's no pinfall, no submission. Tommy just stops the match. Four minutes and 50 seconds. Skyscrapers get the win. This match lacked wrestling moves. There was really no big killer moves by either Spivey or Sid here. Weird finish based on what they were doing at the end. I could see them using a bunch of killing moves and Tommy Young saying, this is it. You guys aren't going for pins. I'm done. You know, let's, let's take this home, give the skyscrapers the win. But Sid was just paintbrushing this guy around and Tommy Young calls for the bell. So I thought that was a odd timing for the match to end. Maybe, maybe power bomb on prior, but instead, no, we get a double power bomb on Brewer and a double powerbomb on James after the match. Yeah, very uneventful. Like, the person in the crowd is not really going to pick up on this because, I mean, Tommy Young, I think he slapped his, like, picked up the hand, did the whole raising the arm bit, 
and then he kind of just waves his hand. So if you're not, if you can't see that or you're not paying attention, all of a sudden the match just ends like without a pin or a submission or anything like that, you're going to be like, what the heck happened? Yeah, very uneventful finish. Again, I just don't think they know what the hell they're going to do with the skyscrapers just yet. It's a replay of the Ric Flair press conference. As we all know by now, he is returning at the Great American Bash to take on Terry Funk. And we go to the main event of the main event. It's Dick Murdoch teaming with Ranger Ross, which is an odd pairing given the stories told of Mr. Dick Murdoch. And they're taking on the New Zealand Militia. This match is actually joined in progress. It doesn't seem to be too far into the match, but it is joined in progress as the babyfaces work over both Militia's arms for a good five minutes of the match. Rip Morgan finally nails a knee to Ranger Ross's back from the apron, and they wind up getting the heat on Ranger Ross. Murdoch finally has enough. We wind up with a four-way brawl in the ring. Ranger Ross with an O'Connor roll on Jacko victory. Rip Morgan grabs him and rips him off of top of victory and throws Ranger Ross over the top rope for the disqualification. At least it's a disqualification this week anyway. And Ross and Murdoch get the disqualification win over the militia in 10 minutes and 20 seconds. I really don't understand the point of this requiring a disqualification. What, they're getting tossed over the top? Why it's the DQ? Or why they actually called it this week? <laughs> no, neither. Uh, why this particular match needed to result in a DQ. Oh. There was nobody to protect here. I would have rather seen Ross and Murdoch go over, but even if the militia went over, I mean, it's not hurting anyone. So I'm not sure why why this match of all matches winds up in a DQ. They don't know either. Uh, maybe they thought they was going to do something with the militia at the time this was taped, so they wanted to protect them, maybe. Other than that, I can't come up with any reason why you would do a, a DQ here. Very uneventful match. I didn't really care for a lot of it that was going on here. At least, it, yeah, it was a, a shit finish, but at least it was somewhat of a finish other than somebody just getting double count out or just scrolling to the back or something like that. But, yeah, very uneventful. Not a very good main event. I want to give a big shout out to the one and only Retro Network. That's the Retro Network. You can find their site over at theretronetwork.com. Join Jason, Mickey, and the crew as they do a deep dive into eras gone by and especially the 80s and 90s. Two decades I'm happy to admit I grew up in. The Retro Network offers a little bit of everything for everyone who's looking to relive those youthful memories, grab hold of that nostalgic feeling, or for you youngins out there who want to see what the fuss was all about. We're talking podcasts, music playlists, articles covering everything from movie reviews to toys to cartoons and everything in between. They even have great holiday theme posts going on. There's great videos featuring segments like the Wax Pack flashback where they unseal decades old trading cards. I find myself having fun every time I visit and there's always something new for you to enjoy every day you pop on there. You can follow the Retro Network on Twitter at TRN Social, and their website again is theretronetwork.com. Please come relive your childhood with Jason, Mickey, and the crew at theretronetwork.com. And we'll fast forward to next Friday, July 7th, and we're back Friday night with the NWA Power Hour. And we kick the power hour off with a singles match involving Scott Steiner. He's accompanied to the ring by Rick Steiner, taking on the bounty hunter. So this week, Al Green has his mask on. And we get the debut of the Frankensteiner, but Scott does it right into the ropes, so there's no count. And that was probably a good thing 
because this clearly wasn't the finish. It happened very early in the match, and the match does go some time. So it's probably good they landed near the ropes here. Otherwise, we'd be talking about the only man ever to kick out of the Frankensteiner was the Bounty Hunter. So I think that worked out well for Scott. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Frankensteiner, man. We saw the Steiner line debut, and we get the Frankensteiner all in the same episode of The Grenade. Yeah, the Steiner brothers are clearly maturing here as a tag team. They're coming along. We're naming the Steiner line. We're seeing the Frankensteiner. Scott's busted out the, uh, well, I used to call it the backflip power slam, obviously. Uh, like I said, the melts, at least. I don't know if you got this information from Scott. I don't know if it was mentioned in an episode of TV, and I missed it, but it's called the blockbuster power slam. The bounty hunter holds his own here and prolongs the inevitable as he tosses Scotty outside early. And it's a back-and-forth match with the Bounty Hunter getting quite a bit of offense uh, until he misses a splash and an elbow drop. Scott Steiner comes back with a Steiner line, which kind of misses, but it, it grazes the top of the Bounty Hunter, and that might be all you need when Scott Steiner's throwing one. So it, it works out anyway for Scott Steiner, who nails that blockbuster power slam. Gets the win. Match went nine minutes. Honestly, I scratched my head and wondered why this went nine minutes, but I didn't mind the match personally. Uh, outside of the really long headlock by the hunter, like towards the end, Scott, like he, he would be better off with somebody in the ring that's smaller. I mean, Bounty Hunter is pretty big dude. Uh, he's pretty large and Scott really can't toss him around. So I guess since they wanted to go with a longer match, it makes sense why he's in the ring with him. But uh, I'd rather see Scott in there beat up some little guy and just toss him around and, and things like that. This wasn't bad for what it was. It's just not very good either. And I, Ah, it's time for WNN with Gordon Sully. So hide your liquor and let's get moving. Gordon Sully talks to the Great American Bash. We now know it's Flair versus Funk. He also announces Luger versus Steamboat. And we learn tomorrow we're going to learn a stipulation that might be added to the Luger and Steamboat match as part of World Championship Wrestling Program. So we'll talk more about that very shortly. Sully moves on to the world of the WWF. And at first it was No Holds Barred, which was related to the WWF, but not necessarily WWF esque in name it's just involved hulk hogan obviously and last week he talked about an injury to jake the snake roberts which okay giving a guy props or wishing him well because he's injured this week it's just full-on wwf storylines that sully touches on this week he touches on the ultimate warrior attacking rick rude during that infamous uh, episode of tv where rude's going to give the girl a rude awakening and the warrior attacks instead of course leading the SummerSlam 89 so Really interesting that Gordon Sully talked about the Warrior and Rude here. I mean, start off, like you said, just kind of eh, stuff that you don't really hear about the WWF, like the how the reviews went and, and, and things like that, uh, as far as Noel's Bard and the, the box office and stuff. So it's kind of, like you said, indirectly talking about the WWF. And then obviously Jake getting injured, that's kind of off screen. You don't really hear about it. But yeah, this is a full on angle. So he's getting a little bit more ballsier as far as what he's talking about. Yeah, it is funny that he mentioned the Jake injury because WWF goes out of its way to ignore it and never mention it or acknowledge it. So uh, if anyone was watching both programs, at least they had an idea as to why they weren't seeing Jake on TV during this time period. Here this week, he's just putting over the WWF, and that's pretty cool, I guess. Gordon goes on, he talks about uh, Crusher Blackwell recovering from pneumonia, talks a little bit about the Georgia independence scene, which was kind of weird. That was kind of cool in its own way. And he also mentions that Antonio Noki suffered a recent injury, a shoulder injury, and he was going to have to retire. This is really weird. Inoki did suffer a shoulder injury, but I think it was like a year or two before this. And, and he did not completely retire either, uh, as I'm sure a lot of you know. 
So I just thought like, this is another Japanese story that Gordon Sully is breaking that just it really doesn't hold true. The only part of this that was true was Inoki definitely did run and wind up in the the public office there, as everyone knows in Japan. But other than that, I just don't know where I don't know if somebody's feeding Gordon this info and he's just that out of the loop with the Japanese wrestling or he's just coming up with things to to be more of an international storyteller here. Uh, I just take it at face value. I mean, it's Gordon Sully. You, like you said earlier, you think he knows what he's talking about. So you should, most people are just going to set the odds. Gordon Sully it has to be true and just move on. But clearly that's not the case. So yeah, very interesting. And for the first time in what feels like to me, like six weeks, and it may not be six weeks, but it's been a long time. But the NWA top 10 finally changes. And it's been a long time coming. And this new top 10, uh, I, I think we're moving a little bit backwards here, at least in the lower names. It's just, I don't understand them, I guess is the best way I could say. Number 10 is Tommy Rich, who has wrestled one time so far, went over Bill Irwin. Number nine is Dick Murdoch, and I don't know what he's done to get back into the top 10 here. As number eight, Eddie Gilbert, he's fallen from, I think he was five or so before he's down to eight. Probably belongs lower than the guys like Doc and Gordy, who were seven and six. They were a little lower earlier. They shot up. Muda is five. Terry Funks went from 10 to number four, which I'm totally on board with. Sting is number three. Number two is Lex Luger. Number one is still Steamboat. So the top four, five, I mean, other than Funks in there now, uh, the other four haven't really moved in a long time. Muda, Sting, Luger, Steamboat have all been in the top five for quite a while, and, they, and deservedly so. It just feels like they were looking to change some names up here at the bottom of the, the rung of the top 10. So we get Tommy Rich and Dick Murdoch thrown in here. And that'll actually change before, before the weekend's even over. Yeah, that threw me for a loop. Usually when I'm taking notes on that, it's writing down and don't really think much of it because it's the same week. I don't think they're going to change it. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I think the next show, they, yeah. they change it again. So yeah, yeah. Um, makes you wonder. Uh, we get Wildfire Tommy Rich over Jim Bryant in 4 minutes, 45 seconds with the Thez Press. That's all I got there. And we move on to Terry Funk's Grill. He's got Paul E. Dangerously with him this week. Funk asks if he can be on the Danger Zone since Paul is the guest here on Funk's Grill. And that's when I question, Danger Zone? When the, when the hell did the Danger Zone return? And we learn, I think, later in this show that the Danger Zone returns tomorrow. But up until this point, until Terry Funk mentioned it, I had no idea. So it kind of threw me for a loop for a minute. Yeah, that's a, I wonder if that's just the way they wanted to let us know that the danger zone's back. But if the danger zone's back, why are you doing funk screw? I guess I guess I can answer my own question. They probably want a power hour to just stand out and do be a little different, whereas the danger zone's gonna be on its own show. So uh that makes sense, but yeah, it threw me for a little bit. Oh, that's back? Why why do you want to be on a show that's canceled, you know? So Polly does an impression of Terry Funk and then he asks Terry Funk to guess who he is and Funk thinks it's his uncle Herman. And, and he <laughs> continues to throw out a few names here that it's obviously not. And uh, at one point, Paulie does one of his little shoot comments here. Um, they talk about something about politics. Is it someone in politics? Terry Funk asks. And Paulie replies, well, this guy can play politics, but he's so good. He doesn't have to. I, I thought that was kind of kind of a fun line by Paulie dangerously. And uh, basically, they, they put each other at the end. They both tell each other they're a great after Polly finally divulges that he was doing a, an impression of Terry Funk, but of course. And so I, I guess Terry was a little flatter, but they tell each other they're great. Into the segment, we really get nothing here. Yeah, Funk's girl's already fallen down the wayside as the danger zone. Just uneventful waste of time. Polly has a match with Jim Cornette coming up at the bash, and they didn't mention it one time. It was just more, 
Paulie putting over the fact that Terry Funk's like his favorite wrestler. Yeah. So just a complete waste of time. And the main event on the Power Hour, it's six-man tag team action. It's the New Zealand Militia and Bill Irwin. Look at that. Look at that threesome, Steve. They take on the dynamic dudes. Could you get any <laughs> You couldn't get any worse if you tried. The dynamic dudes team with Brian Pillman. So I feel bad for flying Brian here as he has a team with uh, the dynamic dudes to take on Bill Irwin and the New Zealand Militia. And this looks like the quality of the matches have quickly fallen down the totem pole here on the Power Hour. That's no lie, but that's I guess the ratings probably didn't do too hot when you start your debut episode on at like what ten thirty eight in the evening on a Friday because it's like, yeah, like ten twenty so, or something, yeah. Yeah, so obviously it didn't really get set up to succeed, but I mean, geez, Louise, but I, you know it picks up next week, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I mean, um, I know what happens already, so I mean, it's going to be what it's going to be, but yeah, it's definitely a very cool segment of the show. This match really, I mean, given everyone involved, I still gave it a shot, and I can't say that it was awesome, but it was tolerable for me. Brian Pillman takes the heat, so he's bumping around good. Rip Morgan finally misses a charge. We get a hot tag to Johnny Ace uh, initially until uh, we get a nice spot from Irwin, who clotheslines Ace from the apron. I thought that was a pretty cool uh, spot from Bill Irwin as he was the illegal man standing in the apron and clotheslined Ace down. Then the heels wind up getting heat on Johnny Ace, until Irwin misses a charge, and Ace actually goes past his partner Shane Douglas to tag back in Brian Pillman. Shane didn't have a lot to do in this match. We we break down to a six-man wild brawl in the ring. Brian Pillman ends up springboard sunset flip on Bill Irwin to get the win just over 13 and a half minutes. Yes, I said 13 and a half minutes. Yeah, it dragged at times, and it was pretty fast-paced and a lot of action at times. The sunset flip at the end looked really awesome. Uh, it, it's kind of weird to see the sunset flip be done from like the like a springboard version from the middle of the rope because you really don't have anything to land lay on like hold on to when you're doing it. And he just jumped over. He cleared the I, who I don't even know who he bent Irwin. Oh, uh, he yeah. cleared Irwin and got him over, and, and it it looked flawless. Like he didn't miss him at all. Like it was just perfectly done. So no, Brian really was cool definitely finish. yeah. Brian was definitely flying here. It was uh it was honestly it was okay. I knew what I saw who was involved, so I set my expectations low, and that, that that way I was able to make it through the entire thirteen and a half minutes without shooting myself. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't set your expectations high, so you don't be disappointed, man. Uh, you set them low, so you don't get disappointed. Yeah, it wasn't bad, but yeah, it's you can skip majority of it. Just watch like the last two or three minutes, and you'll see some cool stuff. Wrestler of the week this week is the great Muta. So uh, Muda gets a picture on the screen as well, just like Sting last week. So Sting was the only one screwed so far in, in that department. And we close the show. We learn that next week's main event, the Road Warriors take on the SST yet again, but this time inside a steel cage. Yeah, that's going to have ramifications leading up to war games, obviously. And I can't wait to review that show. <laughs> I can't either. I saw that. I was like, man, I can't wait to get to next week. And we move on to the next day for NWA Pro for July 8th, Columbia, South Carolina. We kick off the show with a promo, a pre-tape promo of Lex Luger. He says they're all really happy. The Nature Boy pulled himself together and can wrestle again, but there's a new number one man on the block, and that's the U.S. champion, and he has the rights to the number one contendership. That's what Luger feels. He's the greatest wrestler the NWA has to offer, and it's too bad for Ricky Steamboat. And we're going to talk more about that on the World Championship Wrestling Show, but Luger and Steamboat at the Bash, are you interested in that one at all? 
Who's not? I mean, Steamboat's staying away from the microphone, at least thus far. And um, and the ring, too, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, he's just disappeared. Where's We need to put him on a milk carton or something, get him out, get him back out there. He's awesome in the ring, obviously. And I, I, this would be like the first time we see Luger in the ring since he did make the turn. So uh, in, a, in an actual decent match, not what he did to Lee Scott. Yeah, I'm interested to see how well they do together. Like I said, it's been a long time since I watched that show, so I really have no recollection of any of it. We get Rotunda and Sullivan over Trent Knight and Ray Lloyd the Future Glacier. It's the Butterfly Suplex and Double Stomp combo. Get the win here in 2 minutes, 43 seconds. They replay the old Road Warriors generic Iron Man video promo here. They, I don't remember. They played it on a Clash or, or something along those lines quite a while back. It feels like Clash 6 or, or something. It's It's been a while since we've seen this video, but they... They bring it back out here. They recycle this video. Because the roadies haven't really been on TV, uh, we get this music video just to remind us how badass the Road Warriors are. Yeah, it was really well done. I thought it was pretty good. Dr. Death, Steve Williams taking on from out of town, Snake Brown. Doc with Cornette announcing him here. Snake Brown attacks. Bad mistake. Doc picks him up over his shoulder into a fall away and gets the win in 20 seconds. The Freebirds immediately attack. Garvin blast Cornette looked like a shoot job. That may have been the one Cornette talked about prior in some of his shoots where he says Garvin hits him for real and he tells Jimmy, Jimmy, if you just hit me a little, not as hard, I could have sold it better for you. And I guess Garvin gave him some, some lip there uh, because Jimmy tells him something like, well, if you didn't sell it for me, you know, I would have made you or something along those lines. This is where we start having issues with the uh, Freebirds wanting to play Road Warriors 2.0. And I'll get to that at the end of the show. But for, for right now, Garvin's in there. He nails Cornette and takes him out. Doc handles himself well, as you would expect, against Garvin and Hayes. Takes Garvin and Hayes both out. But it's Terry Gordy from behind. And we get a three-on-one as all three Freebirds beat down on Dr. Death. And who comes to make the save? Well, you'd think it was the Midnight Express if you were following the storylines. But no, I'm not sure where they are. But instead, it's Eddie Gilbert and the Steiner brothers out to run the Freebirds off. What did you think? I was waiting for the uh, Midnight Express to come out to make the save, but they never did. And then Gilbert and Steiner's chased them away. So some continuity issues there. Not sure what's going on with all that. Didn't make a lot of sense for them two to come out or those three to come out to help instead of his tag team partners. But um, I don't know if you picked up on it, but when he introduced Dr. Death, he used that, that joke uh, that got him fired from the NWA recently. He rehashed it from '89. It didn't get him in trouble then, but it got him in trouble now. So, but yeah, I'm not. I'm, I wasn't sure if you picked up on that or not. But yeah, he mentioned that Ethiopian joke. But uh, no, that 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 actually, uh, I did I didn't notice it here. I did notice it in the mid '90s uh, on commentary during like a Bob Backlund match. So think about that. Yeah, Cornette's uh, he he recycles these lines, and that's probably a line he sh- he should have retired a long time ago. A long time ago, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this didn't make a lot of sense to me, so I liked it. It was a hot angle, but the finish or whoever came to save him just didn't make sense. Terry Funk promo time. He's accomplished what he came here for to the NWA. He's finally got himself a world title match with Ric Flair at the Great American Bash, and Funk basically uh, dismisses Sting. Not completely dismisses Sting, but he tells Sting he was just there to make an example of him. And if Sting wants some more, he's welcome to bring it, but Funk's looking towards the future. He's looking towards that world title shot, Ric Flair at the Bash. It's to the ring with Norm and the Lunatic, so at least he's supposed to be in the ring for this match. He's accompanied, of course, by Theodore R. Long, taking on Rock Hard Rick from Granite City, Illinois. I'm assuming that really is a city. <laughs> I wonder how long it took him to, to find that on a map. 
the Karachi Crunch and a middle rope splash ends this match in a minute and 19 seconds and Norman begins biting on Rick after the match. I wonder why Norman only bites guys after he wins matches. Maybe it's like a kinky thing. Norman, though, picks up the win here just over a minute. And, of course, the keys come out from Teddy Long to control Norman and to keep him from devouring poor rock-hard Rick here. Stuff. He gets hungry after this match, man. He looks like he gets hungry quite often. He must have a lot of matches. <laughs> I will say, though, man, that crunch in the corner is just awesome. Yeah, like, he, he does, does a great, a really good great avalanche, yeah. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Hot stuff Eddie Gilbert in singles competition. We don't see that too often uh, in recent weeks. And he's taking on Fred Avery here. Eddie Gilbert, of course, accompanied to the ring by Missy Hyatt. But he's also got both Steiner brothers with him. I don't know if that's fair. The entire first family out here to take on poor 300-pound Fred Avery. Missy, a little conservative this week. I'm not a fan. Wearing a blouse and a vest and a hat. I mean, she's still very fashionable and gorgeous, but I don't know. It's not the Missy I know. A big hot shot. Props to Fred Avery. Like I said, over 300 pounds. Gets up in the air, takes the hot shot like a champ. And he goes down, and Eddie Gilbert gets the win in a minute and a half. Yeah, I'm surprised. I think there's a, another hot shot that comes up that completely sucks. But Fred Avery does a tremendous job here of getting that weight up and doing a good job of selling for Eddie Gilbert here. He's, he's trying to put his name in the hat for Jobber of the Month. Pre-tape promo from Teddy Long. He's accompanied here by Norman during this promo. He puts over the debut, well, at least this week's uh, match with the Skyscrapers. Norman randomly finds a plastic black garbage can and a stick. Takes the garbage can during this promo. Oh, now, remember, remember, Steve, we've seen these skyscrapers matches. We've seen Norman come out and kind of take away from their match with all this goofy nonsense. Now we're watching a promo where Teddy Long's putting over this monstrous team of the skyscrapers. Meanwhile, Norman proceeds to take this garbage can, stick it over his head, Take the stick and start beating, beating against his head with the garbage can. It's a video you have to see to really appreciate. There's no really uh, sound by here that's going to get this over. But it, uh, I'll grab oh, no. a couple screen caps and, and throw them up on Twitter. But it's it's Norman with a gar- a small miniature garbage can fits over his head, and he's he's playing the drums on his head with a stick of some sort, and that, and and Long's trying to get it off of him as the segment ends. <laughs> Yeah, man, I was It's like, okay, this is a pretty solid promo here by Teddy Long. But the thing that bothered me with is that I have a surprise here tonight in the, the skyscrapers. So he's, the way he presented it was almost as if they haven't even made a debut yet, and uh, that's definitely not the case. Yeah, he's wrapping up, and all of a sudden, like you said, it's like an office trash can, one of those small black ones that you would put on your desk. And it looks like a hammer, like one of those small hammers that you would use to maybe ring a bell, <laughs> and he just starts bashing his head with it. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? I don't know, like you said, he's psychotic, but now it's just straight goofy. Like, yeah, there's and nothing... let's, let's let the cat out of the bag for anybody who really doesn't know. Norman turns face pretty fast into this run, and it seems like straight out of the gate, he's been nothing but a bushwhacker-type comedy character relating to the children. And I understand he's a heel and he's killing these job guys in the ring, but outside of that, everything he's doing is just pure comedy. And uh, I don't know that that fits as a heel. And I certainly don't know that fits in a new manager trying to get himself over who's managing the skyscrapers. So obviously they have to call an audible and Norman does a, a about face baby face turn pretty fast into his run here yeah. in the NWA. So um, I don't know what a, what a goofy segment. That, that decision. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't know who made that decision, but thank God they did because I'm not necessarily worried about the Norman character here. 
But if it would have went on much longer, the skyscrapers, obviously the size and everything is going to help them get over to a point. But it could have really diminished them and Teddy Long. So thank God whoever made that decision saved not only Teddy Long, but it also really helped the skyscrapers by getting this dude away from them. Right. And we get the skyscrapers in action next. They're taking on Mark Smith and Chopper, Steve Casey. It's good to see Steve Casey back in the ring. I'm not sure we've seen Steve Casey since he suffered that injury, which I never even found out if it was legit or not. If you remember that tag team match where Shane Douglas came down weeks ago and kind of replaced him on the apron out of nowhere? I don't know if we've seen him since then, so I'm not sure if that injury was legit or if I'm just adding to this. I don't really know what's going on with that. But Steve Casey's back, so welcome back, Chopper, to the job scene. And uh, skyscrapers are out to that China White by the Scorpions before the generic version that replaced it. I thought the, the original version was great. I even thought the generic version of Sid's uh, <laughs> theme music was great. So that was one transformation from real song to generic version that, that worked for me. And the skyscrapers just badass. And it's a great intro music for the skyscrapers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That thud where it sounds like they're walking. Uh, it's just great. <laughs> walking through Metropolis. That's right. Godzilla. Yeah. That's how, that's how I picture it. If, if only they'd had the, you no know, 2020 graphics back then would have been interesting. Maybe we would have got that uh, mid-90s Bundy climbing the uh, the tower. Oh, my. <laughs> Destroying cities as they walk to the ring. So Steve Casey's oh, back, but he has seniority here as a job guy, so he gets tossed out of the ring early. He's a wise guy. And uh, Mark Smith's the one that gets his ass beat here, pummeled, double power bomb. They beat on Smith in the corner until Nick Patrick just calls for the bell again. They murder poor Smith. Match only goes two and a half minutes, and... How it's not a DQ because they won't adhere to Nick Patrick's count, I'll never know. But these DQs don't make sense. And sometimes, as you'll see here this week, you can get disqualified and just continue the match and pin the guy and win anyway. So I don't know if anything matters here. And they shit on AEW's rules, but I don't know what's going on here in 89 NWA. But nevertheless, they, they beat on poor Mark Smith in the corner until Patrick calls for the bell and the skyscrapers win the match. Steve Casey never sees the ring again, so he was smart. He got the hell out of the ring and stayed out. It looks like they're trying to give him the knockout finish to where they're just knocking these dudes out, but they do it in ways that isn't necessarily a knockout. It's just what we, we've been trained to accept as a DQ. When you just keep on mauling people and you're not even trying to win. I know I've seen it before where they would call that a DQ, so I'm with you. I don't know why these aren't disqualifications. And the only thing, I, I'm cool with the finish. If you if you murder this guy and they call for the bell, makes sense to me. If you powerbomb him two or three times, yeah. I'm supporting this. I, I understand the story you're telling, but they, they, they might do a, a double powerbomb and then slap the guy around for another minute afterwards before the match is called. And that's where it's just kind of, it's lackluster, the, the finish, and it takes it away from me. Yeah. Uh, it's clear the guy can't, can't defend himself, but shouldn't that have been done, you know, after the big move is, is basically what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like in this one, they throw him in the corner and they just start laying in like lefts and rights. Like where you're not letting him out of the corner. You're not getting him off the ropes. You're not doing anything. You're just beating the hell out of him and he can't defend himself and you're not listening or he adhering to the rules. So the way this one finished definitely was more of a DQ type finish than what it, than what they portrayed. But again, I don't think they know what they want to do with them. Tag team action with the SST taking on Mike Awesome. And for the third time in two weeks, poor Lee Scott. And this is the third time Lee Scott has worked the SST in two weeks. And this is the third time in two weeks that he tries to beat his human cannonball record. Does he succeed? No, he doesn't. Not this week, but that's not to say 
he didn't go up in the sky. I'd say if he went up 15 feet the first time, 20 feet the second time, right in the middle here, right around 17 feet, only 17 feet in the air for Lee Scott on this backdrop. And just, oh my God, this guy, he's really trying here. He's really upset that Dwayne Bruce beat him out last month for VIP job of the month, because I think he's already solidified that here in July after these bumps, just crazy. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to come anywhere close to Lee Scott when it comes to the job of the month. Man, we might as well just crown him right now and <laughs> job of the year, Lee Scott. We're not even half. We're not even through July yet. I don't think anybody's going to touch this guy. Back superplex and a Fatu splash on Mike Awesome ends the match. Three minutes, three seconds, and the SST continue to destroy their opponents. Time for Pettisino nose in the top ten, and holy shit, it's the same top ten. Except for number 10, it's not Tommy Rich, it's Ranger Ross. Talk about obscure, random, pulling a name out of your ass and throwing him in the top 10, Ranger Ross. Imagine if Ric Flair had said, I get to come back and I get to pick any one of the top 10 and I want to wrestle Ranger Ross at the Great American Bash. That would have been something else. Instant buy rate right there. I'm buying it. Woo! Promo time with Lance Russell. He's got Jim Cornette with him. Cornette's going to talk Doc, feuding with Gordy, and of course the Midnight's potentially the next tag team champions of the world. Let's hear what Corny has to say. You know, a lot of people seem like they think they can come out and take advantage of people. You got Paulie Dangerously thinks he's ready to beat me up. Well, let me tell you something, Paulie. You look like you went to give blood and forgot to say when. You're a scrawny little punk that's had a beating coming for a long time. And in Baltimore, July 23rd, that's what you're going to get. Because I don't care if you've got a tennis racket, a telephone, a set of golf clubs, and a machine gun strapped to your ankle, brother. I'm going to give you a beating because you're one person I can whip. And in Baltimore at the bash, I'm going to do it. Now you've got the Freebirds come out here. Sure, any of the three Freebirds can break me like a biscuit. But there's a guy in that ring that you couldn't break, and that was Dr. Death because he's still ready to fight. He don't know the meaning of the word quit. He's the toughest man on the face of the earth. If anybody don't believe me, then you just make an appointment with the doctor. And he wants Terry Gordy, and he's going to get him. I'm not managing Doc, because Doc's had too many people trying to swerve his head around telling him what to do, Kevin Sullivan being the last one. Doc has joined the Midnight Express because he wants Gordy and needs Hayes and Garvin out of the way, and because the Midnight Express, we've been through every other top team in the last six years of professional wrestling. The Freebirds are the one who revolutionized tag team wrestling, and we've never faced them. The first time we got ripped off, but we mean to be the world tag team champions. And all Doc's got to do is keep that Gordy out of the way. And Garvin and Hayes, you're going to find out why you were the greatest for the first half of the 80s. But the Midnight Express, what you perfected, brother, we've taken a whole step further. You know, with the addition of Gordy already in the Freebirds and then Doc, it makes this entire feud a little more exciting than it would be if it was Garvin and Hayes and just the Midnights. No matter how good the Midnights are, they're not going to get much out of Hayes and Garvin. Uh, not many teams are. Throwing in Doc and Gordy is definitely, they're both crazy. They're both nuts. They both play their gimmicks very well. They just add an ex- another layer of excitement that you're not going to get out of a, just a tag feud. So it's never been acknowledged up until this point. It's still not here, but it's clearly it must be Freebird rules here with the World Tag Team titles for some odd reason because we kicked the tournament off for the World Tag Titles. It was Hayes and Gordy. By the finals, it was Hayes and Garvin. Now here on TV, it's Gordy and Garvin defending the World Titles against the Dynamic Dudes, and I'm not going to complain. It's easily the best two in-ring Freebirds, but it's just odd. We keep flipping the Freebirds around here. It's the Freebird rule returns 
many, many years later here in professional wrestling as any two can defend the titles. And I don't really know how that ever came to fruition or how that was ever legal. I guess it's just wrestling, though, so you're not allowed to ask those type of questions. Yeah, you just accept it for being wrestling and move on. I mean, that's really it. So the dudes get a little bit of heat early. They get over early on in the match, and Shane takes this hilarious bump. It's it's actually pretty cool. He he hits the corner, and Gordy's in the corner, and he almost like it reminds me of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the end of the first movie, where where uh, the girl's standing at the, the the window and the door at the front door or whatever it is, and Freddie reaches in and, and pulls her out that little the little hole. And that's what this reminded me of. Here. Shane's in the corner, and Gordy reaches around and pulls him over the top rope to the floor, and a, a fun bump and. <laughs> they wind up getting heat on Shane from that point. Uh, Shane and Garvin eventually crack heads, hot tag to Johnny Ace. That's that's a terrible sentence whenever you got to make a hot tag to Johnny Ace. Michael Hayes comes in, tries to run interference. Double dropkick by the dude sends Hayes out of the ring. Johnny with an O'Connor roll on Garvin, but it's Terry Gordy who cheap shots Ace from the apron, and Garvin gets the pin in four minutes and four seconds. So uh, basically, Ace had tried to run Garvin into the ropes for the O'Connor roll and, and ran right into a shot from Gordy, and Ace goes down, and, and Garvin just makes the cover there. Just over four minutes, not much of a match. Maybe they've given up on the dudes. No videos, and now they're doing jobs in four minutes. Yeah, I think he got hit with the chain. They pulled out a chain, I think it was, or okay, something. I, missed that. I think Hayes brought in, brought in a, a, an object, and Ace came, he dug down too low, and Gordy hit him on his back. It was yeah, it not was a sloppy. lot going on here. Very sloppy, very boring. Uh, I did have that down in the Shane spot. I thought it was really cool. Pretty good stuff. I mean, uh, that part of the match itself was, eh. It was quick. Yeah, that that's the only good thing about it. <laughs> NWA Worldwide for July 8th are in Columbia still. It's Midnight Express taking on Keith Steinborn and Jeff James. Michael Hayes comes down early. Then Gordy wanders down, Garvin down the slowly surround the ring. I kind of like that. They were just slowly outnumbered the Midnight Express. It was really fun. Vegematic ends it on James in three minutes, and like true freebirds, they, they stalk their prey around ringside. They, it's almost like the old shield thing. They, they get up on different sides of the ring. They surround the Midnights, and we get a three-on-two attack, but Jim Cornette starts wielding that tennis racket in the air, calling towards the back. Out comes Dr. Death. Steve Williams evens the odds. He goes right after Gordy, and this is Really fun. Another fun brawl. I love seeing Gordy and, and Doc swing at each other, like I've said before. And four out of six of these guys can sell this uh, match. So I'm sold. I'm sold. You know, you got the Midnight's out there. Dr. Death's out there. Gordy's out there. Even Garvin, to a lesser extent, if he's if he's going to be forced to work. I'm digging this right now. Yeah, I like it, too. And I think it's mainly the Gordy-Williams stuff. And at least there's a small backstory there. You know, it's never happened. We never see it. But Gordy did attack. Williams over in Japan, so um, they have something going on there. The birds kind of screwed the Midnight's out of the tag belts in the tournament. Uh, they cheated to win. Yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, even though Hayes and Garvin are involved, it's there's enough people here to hide that. Uh, we get a replay of the Road Warriors music video before we head to a promo with Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda. This is the one you were alluding to, and, and several other ones, obviously, Mike Rotunda throughout the entire year. Uh, calling the Steiners morons. That was the uh, highlight of the promo, to say the least. If you've seen on my notes, I, I wrote, this has run its course. It absolutely has. They have nothing to say, nothing to add. When the best thing you can do is come up with a five-year-old's insult, uh, you know, this is over with. It's done. And I can't wait for this to be over. Hopefully the Steiners get the win, and we move on. Same here. 
Steiner Brothers in the ring, accompanied by Missy Hyatt, taking on Big Al Green and Big Fred Avery. Jim Ross keeps calling this the first match on the show, I noted. I'm not really sure. Obviously, they just aired things out of order. Scott busts out the blockbuster power slam again, this time on Al Green, and he doesn't even rotate. Completely lands on the top of his head and lands it in a bridging position until he can float over. And how he never broke his neck is beyond me. Yeah, it looks like a million bucks, but damn, it's dangerous. I don't know what's worse, this or the the Steiner screwdriver, (laughs) as far as killing somebody, either himself or someone else. Good lord! With this, at least it's suicide. I mean, with with the Steiner screwdriver, that's 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 no doubt attempted homicide. (laughs) How he was never arrested for that move, I'll never know. How he ever talked anyone into doing that move, I will never know. If he ever talked anyone into doing it, and it's uh, Rick Steiner. With an overhead belly-to-belly on the 300-pound Fred Avery, and Scott follows it up with the rolling belly-to-belly. Steiners get the win in only a minute and 11 seconds. We move on to Terry Funk in the ring against Blood Runs Cold Glacier. It's uh, start, We start off the match, or prior to the match, it's t- clips of the Terry Funk and Sting clips with the branding iron and the blood. The It's obviously censored, but they remind us of what took place last week. So very cool stuff as the bash tour continues. Unfortunately, it's not drawing. It's it's great. I thought it was great enhancement for the feud for for the Bash tour. So it was a great angle, and I, I wish it really. I wish they did better. You feel bad for the talent because they're putting yeah. everything they have into these feuds, and you go to a show thinking, okay, our TV's great. I mean, the ratings maybe a little bit down, but man, these feuds are hot. There's a lot of stuff going on, and then you go there, and there's like a, a thousand people. Yeah, to quote Jim and, Cornette, uh, I, I think Jim Cornette said in one one of his shoots, maybe the '89 timeline, he said as he was going over the Bash tour. Uh, it wasn't for a lack of effort, and that is, you know, the best line you can really say here. It's certainly not for a lack of effort that they're not drawing here because they are giving it everything they can. Great storylines, great talent. Oh, I mean, you got like TV multiple story, main events. Like, you got multiple main yeah, events. Absolutely. You know, it's it's crazy. I, I would be demoralized, man. <laughs> hey, man, I'm bladed. I did. I'm getting attacked by branding irons and all sorts of crazy stuff. We had a brawl with chairs. We're doing everything we can to hype this match, and you get there and there's a thousand people, man. I would just be devastated. Like, uh, where did we go wrong? So this match here, we got Terry Funk taking on the future Glacier, and Ray Lloyd attacks Funk immediately, which pisses Terry off. Terry still has the branding iron in hand, so he nails Glacier with it repeatedly, gets disqualified in six seconds. However, he doesn't stop beating on Glacier and winds up pile driving and pinning. Ray Lloyd, Tommy Young makes the count. Match went like 45 seconds. Uh, my notes here are WTF, Steve. Do you have rationale as to what happened here? I visibly saw Tommy Young disqualify Terry Funk for using the branding iron. And then I visibly saw Tommy Young count the three count uh, a half a minute later. Even Jim Ross was completely confused on commentary. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Clearly it's a disqualification. And in my notes, I put the only thing I can say is they're afraid to do otherwise since Funk is crazy. Makes him the winner. So Funk was kind of forcing Tommy Young to count and make him the winner because Funk's crazy. During the Eddie Gilbert match, Ross does actually announce that Funk was disqualified in the prior match. So uh, he comes back to it and puts it over that it was a DQ instead of a pin for Funk. So, Which is odd because the ring announcer even announces Terry Funk as the winner following the match. So yeah, it was all kinds of confusing. But uh, a yeah, fun little no segment. Sense. And unfortunately, he beats Glacier 
with the branding iron, but we get no blood this week, so we'll have to wait in a few years to see if blood runs cold. <laughs> Eddie Gilbert in the ring with Missy Hyatt. Taking on from out of town, Snake Brown. Eddie is working Muda on the Bash Tour, but has nothing major uh, for the actual pay-per-view itself because Sting's taking on Muda there. So I feel kind of bad for Eddie Gilbert, who's kind of playing the filler role on the uh, house show tour. And then he gets really nothing. I think he's in the Battle Royal. And he might even be in Sting's corner, or I know he's in a promo with Sting or something like that at the Bash pay-per-view itself. But yeah, Eddie (laughs) winds up working maybe the Triple Crown Battle Royal. Other than that, uh, I feel bad for Eddie, who's, who's doing this angle with Muda on TV, and there's no real big payoff for us as fans. Eddie gets the win here on Snake Brown, though, with the hot shot in about two and a half minutes. Yeah, this is not a good Snake Brown match. It went, it went too long. There's lots of stalling and just walking around, and then he finally finished it with the hot shot. It went too long, two and a half minutes. Think about that. Yep, it is for Snake Brown. <laughs> We get the same identical Teddy Long promo from the other show with Norman beating the garbage can on his head here to hype up the next match involving the skyscraper. So they're recycling the segment and Norman beating on his head with the, with the garbage can and the, and the stick. It's so memorable that it's, it's very obvious that, that this is a replay. To the ring, it's the skyscrapers this time with Teddy Long in their corner taking on Chance Myers and John Brewer. Norman comes down again. It feels like they book the same thing repeatedly to get it over on every show, just in case you miss the show. But if you're a fan like I was and, and watch, tried to watch all of the shows, this is really overkill and it becomes obvious. And uh, it wasn't really funny the first time and certainly here three times in two weeks. It's it's not Lee Scott taking a, a SST backdrop. I'll tell you that much. I mean, the only thing I could think of is it's not meant to be funny because he hasn't completely changed just yet they're trying to play it up that he's crazy and just kind of just wandering around on his own since Teddy Long is not back there controlling him with the keys. So I get it in that sense, but man, it's, it's definitely bad. It's overkill and the skyscrapers need to get away ASAP. Yeah. Norman back out here, the keys, uh, Teddy Long waving the keys in front of him. It just happens over and over again. This time the scrapers kill Chance Myers in their corner. Tommy Young ends the match, calls for the finish of the match. Three minutes, 36 seconds. The scrapers will get the win. Uh, The poor job guys just couldn't continue. And I'm fine with the finish. I'm fine with these knockouts or whatever you want to call them. But like I said before, I just like to see some of these death moves before we call it quits here with these stomps and, and slapping and, and things like that, ending the matches. But uh, I, I'm sure business will pick up with the skyscrapers in short fashion. I, I remember their match with the dudes at, at the bash pay-per-view. So I know it picks up at least by that point. Uh, it's on to the SST taking on Bucky Siegler and Randy Rose, Randy Rose back out here, huh? And it, this is the first time we've seen the SST on these shows these two weeks without Lee Scott in the ring. So how crazy is it? when the SST are now the second largest and baddest ass team on the roster with the skyscrapers coming in. Paul E tries to cut a promo and then shoots on the sound guy for not turning off the Halloween theme during their entrance because Paul E's trying to talk and even shouts back at the audio guy to, to, to cut off the damned music. He, he was clearly irritated there. It was funny during the promo too. the SST have the loaded tennis racket that Paul has been carrying around hitting each other in the head with it. No selling. So SST had a little fun there. And I thought it was cool. We finally see one of them use a Samoan drop. Go figure. And then Fatu off the top with a splash. Minute and 10 seconds since this one. Yeah, these guys got it figured out. I wish their feud was, I don't know. I can't, I would, I would, I can't say that I wish there was more going on right now. 
but for two weeks they really didn't have much to do besides kill Lee Scott. I don't know where the roadies went. Are they on, are they in Japan again or what are they doing? I'm not sure if there's a tour right yeah. now. I'm not really I'm not really sure what's going on with the, with the Road Warriors. To be honest with you, oh, unless they're off TV tending to Paul Ellering. Uh, other than that, I don't know where they're at. Yeah, they're kind of just out there right now without the Road Warriors, and not really getting a lot of promo time either. Paulie isn't, and if he is, he's talking about Cornette. So it's kind of just floating out there, nothing going on with it, which is unfortunate. So the new number 10 in the top 10, Ranger Ross gets a United States Heavyweight Championship match here against Lex Luger in the main event of Worldwide. Uh, this might be it for Ranger as far as reaching the pinnacle of where he's going to get here in the NWA. Lex Luger attacks him, full-blown heel here. He's doing the choking and doing all the heel spots. Very natural it comes across like Lex really doesn't have to try to, to do these moves. It just comes very natural to him in the ring. Ranger Ross gets his token comeback, nails the combat kick, kind of, kind of misses it. Luger sells it anyway, takes the bump to the floor. Ranger Ross follows him outside, but Luger immediately grabs him and rams him uh, spine first into the ring apron, throws him back inside, delivers a power slam, torture rack ends it, match goes about five minutes. Very underwhelming for Ranger Ross, who's the number 10 contender. Uh, this was all about Luger. And I'm, and I'm fine with that, but this just, I would have liked to have seen Ranger put up a little more fight rather than get just that token comeback right before you do the job. Yeah, it definitely could have been a little bit better or not even put Ranger Ross in this situation because uh, I think it hurt him way more than it helped him. Even though he's in the ring with Lex Luger and the United States champion, he kind of like all his moves just kind of got shat on. And like, as soon as he got outside after the combat kick, he got rammed in the apron and was back in the rack and inside the ring. So it, the, the combat kick was eventually killed right there. It's unfortunate because I'm with you, man. I thought Ranger Ross was good and given the right opportunity, just a little bit more time to develop. I thought he could have been something, but you're right. This could have been it for him. Like, I don't know if he recovers from this. Yeah, it was just a bad situation to be put in. I'm I'm cool with a Ranger Ross-Lex Luger match. I'm cool with Luger winning, obviously. Uh, I just, you know, they're, they're at a point here where Luger cannot look weak. He has to dominate, and Ranger Ross gets put in this position at just the absolute wrong time because I feel like if these guys had worked a 12-minute match at some point on one of these uh, weekend TV shows and Ross had just been able to shine a little more, it would have done wonders for him. Instead, he's thrown to the Lions here, so to speak. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. And we close the show this week with Pettacino Knows, and this is really weird. Joe Pettacino asks Ric Flair to put Terry Funk out of wrestling. Who is Joe Pettacino to make that decision and ask a babyface to put a heel out? I don't understand Joe Pettacino's gimmick. Did he come up with this on his own? Did they tell him, okay, go out there and, and do this? Did they ever okay or watch or see anything he recorded before it made air? Because some of these things just don't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, man, I, I don't know what his deal is. I'm with you. I think you mentioned it. Uh, I don't know when it first came up, when he first started doing this, that he's kind of going in business for himself and is trying to get himself over with his knowledge of wrestling. He just very, he comes across very, I don't know, arrogant or something yeah. along those lines. I'm just not a fan. I'm just not a fan. Yeah. He's not a heel. He's not a face. He's just an asshole at this point. It's, it's the character is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. He hasn't established himself as anything like, if you're going to do stuff like that, at least do it consistently to where people know that you're just, do, you're doing a work. You're not even doing that. You're just shitting on the product kind of, and just putting in your own opinion that is useless and meaningless. But 
Yeah, it's um, not very good at all. So it's NWA World Championship Wrestling at 6.05 for July 8th, and we're in Marietta, Georgia. This is not center stage. We kick things off with highlights of Kevin Sullivan and what he's done to Rick Steiner's girlfriend, Robin Green, which, funny enough, is Kevin Sullivan's wife at the same time. We uh, open the show with the Steiner brothers. What's that? (laughs) He said what he's done to Rick Steiner's girlfriend, which is his wife, so we're not getting that kind of video, huh? No, 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 no. (laughs) I wouldn't be shocked, but no, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, we head to the ring. It's the Steiner brothers accompanied by Missy Hyatt. And they're taking on John Brewer and Mark Smith here. Missy's been conservative, all grenade, but this is more like it. Low cut top leather mini skirt. Oh yeah. Even rocking the mismatched colored high heels to match Rick Steiner. I thought that was pretty clever. Did you notice she had a black high heel and a blue high heel? That was kind of cool. Yeah. That was cool. Missy's she knows her stuff, man. It's always cool to see that. And she's down to this is gonna sound terrible and you can make your own jokes, but she's down to do anything in the wrestling business as far as an angle. Like she took the mist. She's she's into it with the dog, you know, when they brought the dog out and she's she's not just standing there being pretty. She's she's involved and she's a part she's a big part of the first family. So um not a lot of angles going her way. But she's noticeable, not not for her looks, but for what she's doing on the outside and stuff like that. The looks help, obviously, but um, a lot. Yeah, it's, she's just she's awesome, man. She's really good at what she does. She's just Missy Hyatt. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it, Missy and Hyatt. So this is a Steiner squash. We get Kevin Sullivan on commentary because the Steiners will be meeting Sullivan and Rotunda as part of the Bash pay per view. Frankensteiner right away in the match, and then the fallaway toss, kind of like an Olympic slam of sorts on Smith. Brewer leapfrogs Scott and runs right into a Steiner line. Oof, <laughs> that was pretty violent. Oh, my God. And then Rick, immediately after that, they do another spot where Smith tries to leapfrog Rick, and, and Rick always did this movie. He actually took it from Buzz Sawyer, who did it as well. But Smith tries to leapfrog Rick, and Rick catches him in the air and turns it into the power slam. It was kind of sloppy, but it was still fun. So the moral of the story is never try to leapfrog a Steiner because they wind up taking a Steiner line and a power slam in midair. So not not a good idea. No, absolutely not. I mean, these guys, like he, they just are so damn powerful. They're just throwing these guys around dead left. I, they, I know they're getting help from the, the job guys, but man. It just looks so effortless and easy for these guys to just toss whoever the hell they want around. These guys are just awesome right now. Yeah. Just excellent, excellent, and so much fun to watch. And the Steiners get the win here in four minutes, 18 seconds. Scott does the blockbuster suplex, and has he not landed directly on his skull yet? Because once again, right on the top of his dome as he, as he takes the job guy over. I mean, it looks great, but damn, Scott, damn. There's a funny spot here, too. And this is another thing that's they're so good at still. Um, I know it goes away at some point, but they still play up and just have a good time in the ring. And I guess that there's a spot in there where Scott was trying to pick up Mark Smith, uh, but Rick was standing on Mark Smith's boot, so he, and it was kind of stopping him from getting him, picking him up. So they're just having fun. Uh, it seems very authentic and very real. Like I said, just a joy to watch. Them, the SST, and... Uh, Lee Scott and Luger, kind of like what I'm looking forward to each week. <laughs> Follow the match with a promo from the Steiner brothers. Really a nothing promo. They got Missy with them, but Rick Steiner basically 
owns this promo. They're talking about uh, he recently went out with Robin, I guess, on a date, even though the real date has yet to happen. But he takes Robin out on a date, I guess, and he takes her to go play pig. And uh, what was really weird about that was he talked about he he got to 21. I think that's a completely different game there, Rick. But uh, yeah, just uh, more on Rotunda and Sullivan and more on the Robin Green stuff here. Uh, Really a nothing promo. And it's the A&W Cream Soda, King of the Slam. This week, it's the Road Warriors. Vote yes or no. And I think it costs like a buck or something to vote. So choose wisely. Promo time. So I'm voting yes. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I wouldn't argue either. I guess I'd have to vote yes, too. (laughs) Uh, It's promo time. And holy shit, Ricky Steamboat's in the NWA. I didn't even know. Uh, We got Ricky Steamboat here this week. He's with JR in the locker room somewhere, so clearly he wasn't even at this arena. Uh, where has he been? I don't know. I know Bonnie Steamboat's wanting him to only work three or four uh, shows a month. Hard to do when you're on a bash tour. And, I mean, he's under contract right now, so he has to work all of these commitments. But he says, uh, even even Jim Ross uh, points out that Steamboat's kind of been MIA, and Steamboat says uh, he knows he's been MIA. He's been, uh, he's, he has other commitments. And uh, now Lex Luger needs to make a commitment. Steamboat wants a no disqualification match as part of the uh, Great American Bash title match between the two men. So Steamboat's asking for no DQ, which is completely out of Steamboat's element. And yeah, like I said, uh, we haven't seen him a lot. And that's mostly because he's been requested by his wife uh, not to work so many dates. And while he's been working the Bash tour, uh, obviously he's been missing some of the TV. That's been evident. Yeah, those commitments sure as hell ain't wrestling related. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I thought this was a really good promo by Ricky Steamboat. His intensity was on point. He was to the point. He knew what he wanted to say, it felt like, and it, it came across really good. Luger really struck a nerve with him and pissed him off, and Steamboat got that across. So I thought this was a pretty solid promo. Yeah, it wasn't bad for a Ricky Steamboat promo. I'll give him that much, but I didn't. it wasn't good enough to grab a soundbite either so <laughs> hey man we we have the randy orton curve for wrestling matches we can have a ricky steamboat curve for promos this is on the steamboat curve yeah. <laughs> it's flying brian in singles action against cruel connection uh the chiron says number one but he's announced as just cruel connection which i always loved uh by the ring announcer and uh cruel attacks flying brian but he gets thrown across the ring off of a bulldog pillman does his own version of the bulldog then the flying splash to the back from the top rope gets the win. Pillman wins here, 3 minutes, 49 seconds. Brian Pillman continues to look good. And we go into promo with Lex Luger. It's JR interviewing Lex Luger in the aisle. They kind of set up an area to interview here because they're not at center stage. Jim Ross talks with Lex Luger. I did grab the soundbite for this one, so I'll play that and we'll talk all about it on the other side. Wrestling fans will have our television main event in just a few moments, but earlier you heard comments from Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, an incensed individual. He wants no disqualification, U.S. champion, for your belt on July 23rd. You know, Jim Ross, there's a lot of ingredients that make me the premier wrestler in our sport today. Yes, I have the most athletic ability of any wrestler alive today. Yes, I have all the physical characteristics that it takes. But what makes me the greatest wrestler today, on top of all those, is intelligence. Ricky Steamboat, do you really feel that you are in a position to dictate the total package Lex Luger? You were a champion. I am the U.S. Heavyweight Champion. And do you have any clue? They may be able to dictate the NWA, the rankings, but I dictate how I defend this U.S. Heavyweight title. 
And in Baltimore, it will be a regular U.S. heavyweight title match. You dictate to me. That's this crazy Jim Ross as some little, little midget bodybuilders I bump into all over the country telling me how to work out. Or some guy out here in a 9 to 5 job telling me which Rolex watch I should pick out at a jewelry store. Because you see, I am the total package. I am the greatest wrestler alive today. I am class that will never pass your U.S. heavyweight champion, the total package. Let's leave it. He is class that will never pass the total package Lex Luger. Makes complete sense here. I'm the champion. Who the hell are you to tell me what kind of a stipulation we're going to add to our match? Screw you, Ricky Steamboat. Yeah, this is tremendous. I loved every bit of it. Uh, He believes what he's saying. He says it with conviction. And it's like a complete 180 compared to the promos that he was cutting early on in the year. So Lex Luger's on fire right now. And I'm I'm excited. It's it's great, man. World Tag Team Champions, the Freebirds out there taking on Randy Rose and Steve Casey. And and that's a decent jobber team. I like that team, Randy Rose and Steve Casey. Uh, we get all three Freebirds at ringside. And Gordy's the first one in. He looks like he's ready to wrestle. He's dressed to wrestle. I'm pumped for that. And then at the last minute, they, they have a discussion and they decide it's Hayes and Garvin who will be wrestling. So F you, Michael Hayes. And Steve Casey takes the heat here, old jo- old chopper himself. Uh, he winds up cracking heads with Garvin. Hot tag to Randy Rose. I keep forgetting how Randy uh, good Randy Rose is because he keeps getting stuck in these job guy tag team matches, and he's not doing a whole lot as of late. But he comes in, and it's a very short burst of offense, but he looks really good doing it. And uh, Jimmy Garvin winds up over Rose with the DDT, though. Another concussion for Randy Rose as he gets dumped on his head, and the Freebirds get the win in six minutes. Danger Zone time, and if you remember back in the Power Hour, Paulie Dangerously was the guest of Funk's Grill, and true to his word, which is <laughs> unbelievable given it's, it's Paul Heyman here, but he, he does, to his credit, give Terry Funk a spot here on the Danger Zone, and I grabbed that soundbite right here. You know, when TBS said it was time to bring back the Danger Zone, Paulie Dangerously called Wall Street, and they said, Paulie, if you want to do it right... Bring on your hero. Bring on your idol. Bring out the greatest person that you happen to know. So they looked through the pages of USA Today and they said, okay, Jack Nicholson's coming on the danger zone, but no, because my guest is twice a celebrity that Nicholson could ever be. They said, okay, he's going to bring on a fellow New Yorker. He's going to bring on Mike Tyson, but no. Because my guest is tougher, is rougher, and he will be like Tyson, the heavyweight Holly, I want to talk to you as straight as I've ever talked to you or you people out there. My arms are not the biggest arms in the world. And I don't have the spring in my legs that I once had. Nor can I run a race as fast as I once could. But on the 23rd, I am going to be the new world's heavyweight champion. And do, and do you, do you know why? Because I have the heart 
That's something Flair doesn't have. Flair is gutless. He doesn't have a gut in his body. He is afraid of me. And that's why the beat of his heart beats faster and faster as each day comes closer to the 23rd. He says that I have tarnished his career. Well, let me tell you something. I am going to stain the mat cover in Boston a blood red a blood red I'm not only going to tarnish his career I am going to end his career when he sticks his neck out one last time so holler we want flair we want flair we want Flair, we want Flair, we want Flair, I want Flair, I want Flair, not them, not you, but me. Unlike uh, the Funk's Grill, I thought this did a much better job in in getting Funk over in, in regards to the Flair feud. In fact, Probably the best, for me, the best uh, funk promo in about three weeks because he really didn't have anything huge to say the last couple weeks, if you remember when Luger was killing it on the last episode of The Grenade, and uh, n- not so much last week either here on this episode of The Grenade, but it's it's been a few weeks, but I, I, I like this one. Yeah, I did too. It was very, very good. It's that classic Terry Funk promo where it's all passion and you know just straight to the point. Uh, of what he's trying to get across, and I thought this did a, did a tremendous job of of uh, hyping up. Yeah, I think if you throw away the first minute with Paulie basically trying to put over the new Batman movie and get himself over with the Batman shirt, it gets serious. You know, the last two minutes, two minutes, fifteen seconds of the three minute show, Funk really, you know, like you said, a passionate promo. None of this horse shit with the with the jackass stuff and all that junk from the last few weeks. He's uh back at it here and i was uh, happy to see that really good stuff i want flair that's it was good i really liked yeah. it yeah i do too i liked it too and i think like i said last on the from the last week's show saturday night how flair came back and was cutting a promo you knew funk was going to take that and apply what he's going to talk about going forward so right. having flair back cutting his own promos and things like that is only going to help terry funk yeah it may, re- may rejuvenate rejuvenate the uh, funk promos so it works out for everyone and it's a new dynamic to the feud, though, because too, because Flair's not been here since the feud started. So now we actually have Flair on yeah. TV to, uh, you know, counteract the things Funk says and does. We move into the main event of the program. It's the Midnight Express out here with Jim Cornette taking on the New Zealand Militia. Yes, unfortunately, this is the main event of the show this week. Uh, competitive and really, honestly, not bad. The Militia are very basic, uh, but in this match, it was just enough to get by without really boring the hell out of me. Bobby Eaton takes some heat here. He winds up whipping Rip Morgan into Jack Vickery in the corner. Eaton cracks heads with Rip Morgan, too. It seemed like a very weird sequence, but that's what happens. Eaton goes down, makes the hot tag to Stan Lane. Crowd pops huge for Stan when he gets in the ring. Decent comeback here uh, with Stan in the ring, but the Militia wind up with a double clothesline on Stan. Victory drops down to make the cover, and the Midnight Express show that they, too, can play dirty. As Eaton comes off the top rope behind the referee, drops an elbow on Jack O. Victory. 
And the illegal Bobby Eaton makes the cover and gets the win. The Midnights get the win in eight minutes and nine seconds. Again, I set my expectations low. Uh, and given that the Midnights were in the ring, I thought they carried the Militia to an acceptable match here. Yeah, I agree. It, didn't, it never really lagged or got boring, it, even when the, the Militia had to control the match. Um, but that, that was because Bobby Eaton was doing a lot of the selling and things like that. So, um, yeah, decent main event. At least we actually got to finish. Since it's a big-time main event with two names, not this one, obviously, I, I'd rather that be on early. That way you can at least end the show with a solid finish, or unless you're doing an angle, I guess. I don't know. But mm-hmm. not a bad match here. We actually got to finish in a main event. So something different. And last week we closed out World Championship Wrestling with a surprise promo from Ric Flair. But this week we know he's here. Jim Ross brings him out down to the aisle. It's Jim Ross interviewing Ric Flair to close the show. Let's listen to what Ric Flair has to say. Sunday, July 23rd, 4.30 Eastern Time. Baby, it will all be on the line. They are live here tonight, and they are ready for the Nature Boy. Well, Jim Ross, (laughs) I got to tell you from the bottom of my heart, this is the first time I ever came in the state of Georgia and heard someone cheer for Ric Flair. And I'm going to tell you, woo! I don't mind telling you that it's a good feeling because like me, love me, hate me, I am going to kill Terry Funk and Dr. I told you, Funk, that the time would come when you had to look me in the eye. And right now, the whole world here, Marietta, Georgia, we all know that on July 23rd, we're talking pay-per-view. We're talking Baltimore, Maryland. We're talking about you and I finding out, head up, who is the world's heavyweight wrestling champion. You, my friend, have got to come at me eye to eye. You're not gonna get the shot behind my back. And pal, I've said a lot of things over the years that have come true, and this one I'm gonna make happen without a doubt. And that's just funk, they're gonna carry you out of Baltimore, Maryland. All right, fans, those comments are Nature Boy and Ric Flair. For our whole crew, I'm Jim Ross. We'll see you tomorrow night at 6.05 on the main event. So Ric Flair basically warns Terry Funk that he's coming to commit murder in Baltimore. (laughs) He's going to kill him uh, on July 23rd. And um, I thought it was funny, too, where where you mentioned that it's the first time he'd ever heard cheers here in Georgia, obviously, uh, as as a heel, he's been cheered many a time. So he's ignoring that here. He's putting over the fact that he's, he's now a baby face. And, uh, finally he mentions that it's not going to be a sucker punch this time. Terry Funk, he's been trying to attack sting from behind. He has attacked sting from behind with the branding iron. He sucker punched flair. That's what got this whole thing started this time. It's face to face. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty good. I don't really like it when, guys cut a promo and they're talking about killing somebody and things like that. Cause you know, it's not going to happen. You know, you're not going to buy a pay-per-view and see a murder. <laughs> uh, so 
don't try to sell it like that's what we're going to see. I get it. People use, oh, he murdered that guy. And, like, you know, maybe a crossover or something like on a basketball court or something like that. I get it. I get what you're saying and what you're trying to get across. But I don't know, man. You got, like, a, a seven, eight-year-old kid who doesn't necessarily understand that. Um, <laughs> Daddy's going to murder him? I, I could just see that happening at some point, some places across the country. But, um, yeah, this is a solid promo by Flair. The passion and the energy that he has, he, he may not be invested in something. I don't know. I'm not saying it is here, but you would never know it if he wasn't into something. I know he's he said, like, you know, he wasn't really – it was tough to work with Macho and WrestleMania, things like that. But I never would have noticed that. He's hard on himself, obviously, but he's so damn good at cutting promos and working that you would never know if he had an off night. You never knew if he had an off day or how he's really feeling. It's the, it's the nature boy. And this didn't disappoint. Just uh, really, I'm just thankful that he's back. I'm glad he's been missed. Uh, agreed, hundred percent. And uh, hopefully, it just continues to get better and better as we head into the bash. And uh, we head into the Sunday main event for July 9th, and it did in fact happen. I could not find results. I do not have the episode on tape. At least at this point, I don't. I'm. It may be somewhere deep in my my boxes and storage, but at this point I have no results, but it does happen because Jim Ross actually even sells it here at the very end of the world championship wrestling show. I know every once in a while, some of these TV show, uh, TBS shows simply didn't air. Uh, that was not the case this week. So it's out there somewhere. If you guys got a DM me, let me know. I'd love to get my hands on it. So since we don't have the main event to close this week, what I'd like to close with is the results from the great American bash tour, uh, specifically the July 8th show. Uh, from Boston Garden since they've been promoting it so well on TV or at least uh, mentioning it more than the other stops. And so what I wanted to do here is run down this card. Uh, it's the NWA at Boston Gardens, Boston, Massachusetts, July 8th, 1989. Now remember the month prior or two months prior, the WWF ran here in May and drew 5,000. That's 200 more people for Andre the Giant and Big John Studd in the main event. And that's 1989. Andre the Giant and Big John Studd in the main event. So they actually outdrew this bash uh, tour stop here. And uh, here are the results. You know, uh, they tried to squeeze everybody they could on the show. I think this, I didn't count, but it's got to be 10, 12 matches here. They go all out, get everybody on the show. A lot of underneath matches, but you're still getting a lot of action. Scott Hall over Bill Irwin, the Dynamic Dudes over the New Zealand Militia, Mike Rotunda over Dick Murdoch, Norman Pins Chopper, Steve Casey, uh, the skyscrapers defeat the party patrol is our first look at the party patrol. They kept coming and coming and coming. They never did get here. And, and here they are though, on the bash tour doing the job to the skyscrapers. Now I'm betting uh Davey and Johnny rich, wish they hadn't showed up here in the NWA. That's no lie for weeks. They've been promoting it and it's Rick Steiner over Kevin Sullivan in the Boston street fight. Imagine that Rick Steiner getting the win over Kevin Sullivan, six man tag in team Boston. action. Yeah, in Boston. Well, he's the heel, I guess. You know, I'm, I, who knows what Kevin did when he got out there? Did he piss the locals off? I don't know. Uh, we get all three Freebirds, six-man tag team action, all three Freebirds, Gordy, Michael Hayes over Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the Midnight Express. It's noted that after the match, the Freebirds attack Eaton and Lane until Dr. Death cleared the ring with a wooden chair. And this is where it gets good, Steve. The story goes, according to Jim Cornette at least, and I, I, I tend to believe this because it's pretty damn detailed. This is when the birds were on their no-selling kick, especially Hayes and, and Garvin. Gordy, believe it or not, was bigger than both of them. He sell, sold more than both of them. Uh, but they thought they were uh, basically trying to get themselves over, so they needed to 
sell a lot less, maybe not sell at all. And they're not selling in this match. And it gets to the point where Doc is so pissed off during the brawl at the end that the, Gar- the Freebirds are no-selling, that Jimmy Garvin particularly with, with Doc is no-selling, that Doc grabs a wooden chair and proceeds to beat Garvin with it for real uh, in the shoot. Uh, he begins, this is not a gimmick <laughs> chair. Uh, this is Dr. Death swinging a chair at your, your body, uh, any which way he can hit it. And Garvin's throwing his hands up. He's clocking Garvin in the elbows. He's clocking Garvin in the head. Wherever he can hit him, he's... He, and I believe the conversation goes something like this. Uh, he whacks Garvin with the chair. Garvin says, fuck. Doc replies, fuck with me. He whacks Garvin with the chair again. Garvin says, fuck. And Doc says, fuck with me. And this continues repeatedly until they chase them to the back. And uh, there was a... There was nearly a, a brawl in the back as well between the two teams. I guess everybody was in the same locker room, and the birds uh, were not happy with what, what just transpired, and um, it got ready to come to fisticuffs, I guess. And uh, Hayes or Cornette believes that Gordy would have actually stuck up and fought for Michael Hayes. Obviously, Gordy was like the, he was like the little brother to Michael Hayes, you know, or the big brother to Michael Hayes, I guess, I guess is what you call it. He, he defended Hayes, basically. He doesn't know if he would have defended Garvin necessarily because Garvin was going to get murdered by Doc. Uh, but the, the birds just didn't want to sell, and I guess it came just about ready to explode in the locker room. And Bobby Eaton, who had never opened his mouth in the history of Bobby Eaton's life in regards to something like this, he said, fuck, guys, we're not just out here to get you over. And everybody, cooler heads just prevailed because oh, Bobby Eaton spoke up and he made sense. You know, we're not just here to get you guys over, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they need to get over too. It's a fun story when Cornette tells it. I'm, I'm sure I didn't tell it as well as Cornette, but it, this is what happened tonight. And you'll notice Jimmy Garvin winds up missing a couple of the, the next few uh, nights of the bash tour because he is so mauled from these chair shots that it, it's physically shown. Like it, there's contusions and, and there's bruises and there's, bumps and things of that nature so cooler heads prevail but jimmy garvin learns a tough lesson sounds like it's well deserved uh, when you're mad and you're just pissed off and you're in the moment i'm sure you just zone out and you think this is what's right um you're not it's kind of like an out-of-body experience probably and um yeah i'm, I'm, I'm thinking was... doc's not really fearing anyone either including terry gordy oh. i mean i'm not saying that gordy might not win you know here and there if they if they fought every night but you know, from all I'm accounts, gonna no, I'm, there's going to be no real winner there. I think they're both going to get some knocks <laughs> on them. I don't care how t- I don't care how tough you are. Gordy's a, t- a big dude. You're going to take a hit, whether he's a tough guy or not. You're going to get hit, and it's going to hurt. It's Gordy. He's freaking huge. So, but yeah, uh, that's just somebody who doesn't give a shit and knows he can protect himself if if they want to try something funny. And uh, I'm sure the the birds started selling for the the midnights going forward. <laughs> oh, I I would have to imagine. But that was just fun. That was another reason why I wanted to bring up this bash as well. And that's not even like the, the big matches on the card are just re- getting ready to take place at this point. We still have a uh, triple chance battle royal. Rick Steiner going over, last eliminating Mike Rotunda. Still get, get getting heat uh, on that Rick Steiner and Mike Rotunda feud that's been going on for damn near a year now and just needs to come to an end. Uh, Ricky Steiner with another one. So two wins for Steiner here in Boston Garden. The great Muda. Defeats Eddie Gilbert by countout in a dragon shy match. That seems like a, a generic way to, to end the match. And uh, you'll, you'll notice here that's not the only disqualification because we also see Sting 
uh, here defeat Terry Funk by disqualification when Norman runs in and interferes. I don't know what that's about other than Norman's kind of wild and he can do anything. Seems like a cheap cop-out of a way to end the match. But um, So we get a count-out. We get a disqualification. You can't really not expect that with this many matches on the card. But, yeah, we keep moving along. And the Road Warriors defeat the SST. This is actually one of the few times the Roadies actually beat the SST. Believe it or not, this is the first wing of shows that the Road Warriors, probably since at least 83, 84, where they do multiple jobs to a team. And I mean clean jobs, one, two, three, in the middle of the ring. Uh, I'm sure there was cheating involved. But the SST defeat the Road Warriors several times on the Bash Tour. Uh, but, th- but this happens to be a night where the Road Warriors do go over on the SST. And in the main event, probably because Funk was still hurt, and I, I believe he was taking minimal bumps in those matches with Sting, uh, we, we get Lex Luger, U.S. champion Lex Luger, defeating Ricky Steamboat to close out the show. So you're talking five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve 12 matches, and pretty much everyone on your roster other than Ric Flair. So it was not too bad. Uh, fun little night at the very least. It deserved more than 4,800. It was certainly better than an Andre and John Stud match. Oh, yeah, hands down. Those last five matches that you talked about are better than probably anything on that WWF show in ring and on paper. So definitely, like I said numerous times this episode, it's just unfortunate because these guys are putting everything they have into it on TV, on that side of the things, just promoting and doing the, the legwork to make these shows possible to where they are a profit or successful uh, is just not there for them. Trash. It, it just sucks. It's not fair to these guys. And I did mention this already, but Steamboat's contract comes to an end immediately after the bash pay-per-view and Bonnie only wa- I mean, I'm sorry, Steamboat only wants to work three to four dates per month, as I had already mentioned. And uh, obviously that, that that's going to throw some monkey wrenches in there. And we'll, you know, we'll talk more about that in the next couple episodes. But uh, that's where we stand right now with the Great American Bash pay-per-view and everything else going on in the NWA. Two more weeks out of the way, Steve. Two more weeks coming again next week. And then in two weeks' time, it's the Great American Bash watch-along. Yeah, a lot of good stuff coming up. I mean, the TV was kind of a little bit uneventful uh, outside of that um, Terry Funk angle with Sting. And then Lee Scott damn near killing himself three times. Um, and then flare the promos, but there wasn't a lot going on compared to what we've been seeing, but there's enough here that it's really working its way to getting you pretty pumped for the matches at at, uh, the great American bash. I definitely can't wait till the next two weeks of episodes. And then that that watch along is going to be awesome. You love the show. So I can't wait to talk about it with you. Obviously we know there's something big coming up next week on the power hour with the cage match between the road warriors and the SST. I'll let I'll save that. I won't spoil it for you guys, and I won't spoil it for Steve. I, I hope you enjoy what what winds up happening there to set up war games. But uh, other than that, I don't know that we're going to get a whole lot of major angles between now and the bash because we've kind of run that course. We built all of them up, and now it's just time to get there. And so as long as they can get there without you know really bringing it down, which I think they're coasting along just fine here the last couple of weeks, I'm okay with that. And uh, like I said, man, the bash, man, just uh, it's two weeks away for us. It's three weeks away for the NWA or, or it's uh, actually, no, it's uh, it's two weeks away for the NWA too, because it's on the 23rd. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys stay tuned again. Like I said, we're going to be doing a giveaway as part of Thanksgiving week, which coincides with the bash watch along. So you guys stay tuned to Twitter, see what's going on there. There's some ideas that Steve and I have been batting around, uh, including a McDonald's gift card at some point. So that <laughs> I'll, I'll save that for Take a later for date. You, yes. But, uh, 
uh, really fun stuff coming up. I'm looking forward to it. You guys make sure to check out our other show now, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, where we talk about the, the Monday Night War, the battles within the Monday Night War. It's Raw versus Nitro. We're going to be discussing the results week to week. We're going to be discussing the uh, backstage news and obviously the TV ratings. So it's, it's a good time. We've got a couple of them in the can and uh, plenty more on the way. The, the watch-alongs have been coming along nicely as well. Head over to the all-access tier or the power patron tier and give that a try also, the Power Hour podcast over as we do reviews of the current WWE, state of the WWE, their pay-per-view results, uh, amongst other things there. So uh, thank you guys once again for listening. Steve, man, I had another fun time with you here this week on The Grenade, and I can't wait to do two more weeks of the NWA next time. Absolutely, man. It's my pleasure. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. One final thank you to the fans of The Grenade. A reminder to check out our new podcast, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, coming to you every Monday morning as Steve and I dissect the week-to-week TV results, backstage news, and TV ratings of the Monday Night War between the WWF and WCW. As mentioned at the start of the show, with Monday Warfare dropping on Mondays, The Grenade is moving to Wednesdays. So set a reminder that our next episode will drop on Wednesday morning, November 18th, covering another two weeks of NWA goodness for the weekends of July 14th and 21st, 1989. It's the final hype before the Great American Bash, Glory Days. And in two weeks' time, Thanksgiving Eve, November 25th, it's the Great American Bash Watch Along, as well as the next batch of free prize giveaways. Follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade for more information on those prizes as well as for your chance to win those free prizes. That's at Rasslin Grenade on Twitter. Both the Wrestling Memory Grenade and Monday Warfare are now available on WrestleCopia.com as well as your favorite podcast streaming apps, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. If you're just now joining in on the fun, you can always go back and check out our old episodes of The Grenade, as well as brand new episodes of Monday Warfare at your convenience. One final reminder that we've put together a really fun Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. There's 14 tiers to choose from, and price ranges for everyone, as low as $1, a $1 tier just to show your support and let us know you care. We've been putting on tons of fun podcasts on Patreon as part of our Watch Along series as well as the Power Hour podcast. I encourage you guys to please subscribe at least one month, give it a try, and join in on the fun. There's no commitment, cancel at any time, but we'd like to think you'll stay around based on all the offerings available over there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. We've invested quite a bit of money in advance here on the network, and we'd love to have your support in order to keep this thing going. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, Let us know you care. Let us know you're there. Let us know you're here with us, and we'll continue to pump out quality product on a weekly basis. And that about does it this week for The Grenade. We'll be back next Wednesday, so set those reminders. The Grenade now on Wednesdays. So tell your friends, we're not going anywhere. We're just moving the date. Monday Warfare every Monday morning. The Wrestling Memory Grenade every Wednesday morning. And for my co-host, Steve Ekstat, I'm your host, Ray Russell, saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. Be there.